Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. Today I have an interview with Renee from DV Electronics, plus all the normal news and stuff. Um, and I got feedback from you guys who said that the backdrop was good enough for now, so I switched it to the blue side this week. Um, I don't know, you guys let me know which one works better. Uh, maybe there's just like a video thing too where, you know, overlaying images over one of the two colors works better. I don't know. I have a lot of uh, video editing friends that watch this podcast, so I listen to you guys. Um, and I really will someday get to an actual blue screen, just one step at a time. But it would be neat to just, you know, have a real blue screen so I could have stuff floating around behind me just like the drones with Lady Gaga's halftime show. I still can't believe people thought that was in real time. But anyway, um, let's just jump right into the news. First up, I just want to thank my buddy Jared for sending me a whole bunch of stuff I needed. Um, I have a list on my, a want list on my website um, for things that, you know, some are high priority and some are just, I need them eventually because I want to start testing. But I finally got a Dreamcast light gun. So um, I really want to test how these work. I don't know if they work in just 480i or if they'll work in 480p as well. Um, unlike the PlayStation ones, there's no place to plug in composite video on these. So I'm just really looking forward to see what they do, and uh, I don't even know if you could do a 480p light gun game with the way the technology works, but I'll test it as soon as I get a chance to, so thank you very much for sending all this stuff, um, and I'm looking forward to doing some run-throughs on it. Also, just another callback from last week, um, I had mentioned the game Retroid, which was basically somebody took Super Metroid and hacked the maps so that it's exactly like the original Metroid, essentially making a 16-bit version of the game. Um, I'd made a comment last week about Ridley being too hard, and I was totally wrong. So I just assumed because it was a ROM hack that the developer must have made it really hard like most of them do. But nope, as long as you just wander around and get the correct items, then everything's fine. So um, start to finish, I absolutely loved the game. I'm totally going to play it again, especially if there's ever any updates to it. But I still haven't gotten in touch with the creator, so if anybody knows him or knows a way to get in touch with him, please let me know. Because it's just, it's one of my favorite Super Metroid ROM hacks, and uh, I even added it to my page on the website for it. I definitely recommend it. It looks like a speedrunner found an extra coin in Donkey Kong 64 for the Nintendo 64. I guess there was always 976 possible coins, but somebody found that if you run through the tall grass in one area and then I think throw something, um, Donkey Kong would actually find the 977th coin. So I wasn't a huge Donkey Kong 64 fan, but uh, if anybody was out there looking to, to collect every tidbit, I just thought that was really cool that all these years later we're still just finding extra stuff in these games. As expected, it looks like the production of the Wii U has ended. So I believe they said a few months ago that this was going to happen, and it makes sense that with it about a month away from the Switch's launch, that they've moved all their resources over to making uh, Switch games, consoles, and accessories and stuff. So uh, not unexpected, but I guess it's the end of an era for Nintendo. The Dreamcast HDMI box called the Acura is now available for pre-order. It's $85, which includes shipping, and should be delivered around mid-March. It's made by the Behar brothers, who are the same guys that make those other awesome Dreamcast products, and it also has the same features, such as a scan liner and the ability to switch between 480i and 480p modes. Um, it's an analog-to-digital converter, which is fine, it's just uh, it doesn't render in HDMI, so you're not going to be able to get any upscaling through it, but in my personal opinion, I really think the Dreamcast's output looks pretty good on modern day TVs. Um, I love playing Daytona on my flat screen, and it, it just it looks almost as good as the PS3 version. 
So, um, in my opinion, at the moment, this is the best way to get your Dreamcast into a flat-screen TV. And um, I'm sure that there are other solutions coming up on the horizon, but all the ones that I know about are internal mods. So this is just plugs right in the back, there's no modding required, and it outputs HDMI. So at the moment, it's uh, definitely my first choice for Dreamcast on a flat screen. Speaking of the Behar Brothers, there's also more news about their consoleized game gear. It's going to be $290, and it'll also include a, a RGB SCART cable, as well as an AC adapter, and that also includes shipping. And it should be available sometime around March. So, this is pretty cool, and it's actually, um, I mean, I don't know how they're able to sell it that cheap, to be honest with you, because it combines a Game Gear, um, Tim's Game Gear TV kit, and then they made their own case for it, plus the cable and everything else. I mean, it's my opinion that this is a pretty darn good deal. Um, a lot of work has to go into each one of these, and I would assume that they did the capacitor replacements on each one, because the Game Gears just won't really function without it. So, if you were looking for a, an RGB consoleized Game Gear, this is probably for you. Um, I don't have any uh, new footage of it, but um, hopefully I'll at least get one in to demo. Because uh, I've always loved Game Gear, and I, I just, any way to play it on TV, I at least want to try out. There's a Mega Man 2 remake that was just released called Mega Man 2.5D, and it looks pretty incredible. It's uh, PC only, and it takes the 2.5D perspective of the game. So it's not a 3D game, it's still a side-scroller. But you could kind of see deep into it. Anybody watching on YouTube will be able to see now. And it looks pretty amazing. Um, I wish there was some way to get this on a real console. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not even sure how that would work with licensing. But this is definitely a game I would buy and play because it looks really cool. Another emulation console called the RetroBlox was just announced. Um, and as soon as it was announced, I kind of jumped to conclusions about what it might be. Uh, and then somebody in the conversation told me I might have these guys all wrong. So, uh, basically, imagine the Retron 5, but it's got a CD-ROM drive in it, and then modular inputs, so pieces of plastic that you pull off, and each piece of plastic would have, like for Super Nintendo, you'd have two controller ports and then the slot to put Super Nintendo games. So basically, one console could handle pretty much everything. Um, so I love the design, uh, the physical design of it. I think something like this is the absolute perfect physical way to do a modular game system like this. Um, but it is, as far as I know, still just software emulation. Um, and there's no price announced yet. So this is uh, all of these things are kind of important. I know, personally, this is probably a long way off, but if we were able to get an FPGA console, kind of like Kevtris's Zimba 3000 that's coming up, if you were to take that and put it in this side, or this type of a design, I think that itself would be just amazing because then that one plastic mold that you have to buy would probably last forever because you could just put different guts in it as time goes by, but also your modules would be the same forever. So if every four or five years you're going to buy a new base with a new FPGA unit in it, awesome, whatever, because all of the other stuff that you have for it would still work. So this is all speculation, of course. I'm just talking out my ass, talking about what I wish this thing was. So um, I hope to talk to the guys behind it. Um, and I got their email addresses, and I will contact them directly and uh, hopefully even try to get them on to talk about their project and see what makes this different than the other emulation boxes. But I'm crossing my fingers that this isn't just like a Raspberry Pi stuck in a cool case. I really hope there's more to this. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And uh, at the very least, that, that console design itself is pretty awesome.
My Life in Gaming just uploaded a video on the Visteon, which was a weird piece of tech that allowed you to play Game Boy Advance games in a car TV. Um, it's kind of a strange device, and if you like videos about weird tech, or if you're just really into the Game Boy Advance, I would definitely give it a watch. It's a cool video. Uh, I'll, you know, no spoilers, plug your ears, but um, it's not even close to the best way to play a Game Boy Advance game, but it seems pretty neat, and uh, if I ever get a chance to play with one, I would like to, but it's not something I would ever go hunt down. Darksoft is making more progress with his Neo Geo ROM cart. He just uploaded another video showing it in action and showing some of the load times getting shorter, so it's pretty cool. Um, I still am really excited to try any one of these Neo Geo ROM carts out and do a full review on them because uh, this is something all of us have been waiting for for a long time. And speaking of Neo Geo ROM carts, the Neo SD team just posted an update saying that they should be ready to ship within a few days. They got the completed PCBs in and they're just waiting for the shells and should be able to start boxing things up and shipping um, once the shells come in and are verified. So I'm crossing my fingers it doesn't take too long to ship to me um, and I'm excited to finally get it. Apparently there's a new Game Boy Color backlit screen project in the works. I saw on Reddit that somebody on Taobao, which is a Chinese reseller, is selling Game Boy Color consoles with a new screen installed. And this screen is the, supposedly the same aspect ratio, and it has exactly four times the pixels as the original. So it preserves the same aspect ratio, so you don't get the weirdness of, like, the GB Boy Color. Um, and it would obviously look different because the pixels will be smaller, but it is backlit. So I'm really interested to get one, and um, a few people on Reddit actually figured out how to do it. So you could use stores called Biner or Superbuy, which are basically third-party aggregators that they buy stuff from Taobao, they receive it, then they check it, package it, and ship it to you. So um, I went and bought one, and I probably wasted a lot of money. I'm sure this is going to cost like 150 bucks. so I hope it really is as good as the description says. Um, a few people said that they thought it was the GB Boy Color, but I'm pretty 99% sure it's not, that this is actually a Game Boy Color with a new screen installed. Um, and a few people on Twitter were trying to help as well, so thank you very much for anybody that was trying to do the translations with me. But um, as soon as I get it in, I'll do a full review, and then I'll probably end up sending it to My Life in Gaming for them to review as well, because they just did an amazing Game Boy episode, so I figured they'd probably want an addendum for it, if it's any good. Uh, but I'll keep you guys updated. Firebrand X just uploaded the latest version of his color palettes for the NES RGB. So he did a ton of work, and he has he's come up with many different ones based on your scenario. So if you have a flat screen and you want it to look like a PVM, or if you're gaming on a PVM but you want the colors to look more like they did through a composite when we were kids, um, and there's many different combinations of each. I mean, he just he did a phenomenal job on it, and I can't tell you how impressed I was with just the one, I think it was called Unsaturated Version 6. They're all renamed now because he's got a ton of them, but... Um, that one alone was just a massive step up, in my opinion, from, from the, some of the ones that were already included on it, um, ones that were used in emulators before. So if you have a NES RGB, I highly recommend updating it. Um, if you use emulators to play, then you should very easily be able to throw these color palettes in, and hopefully some of the other consoles like the, um, the high-def NES and the AVS will support these soon as well. So a huge thank you to Firebrand X for all the work he puts in, because I really appreciate these things. 
There's another update to the Vera SNES project, the FPGA-based SNES project, and it looks like he got Mode 7 working, which is pretty cool. Uh, and I'm just really impressed at the steady progress he's made throughout this. Um, you know, I just, I'm not sure what he's going to do with it when it, he's done with it, but it's just it's very impressive that something like this is even working as well as it is so far. So huge kudos to him, and I uh, can't wait to see what happens next. Speaking of FPGA consoles, Kevtris just dropped a huge piece of news on everybody. He released a jailbreak for the Analog NT Mini, which he designed the guts for, which is an FPGA-based Nintendo console. And the jailbreak first allows you to run NES ROMs on it, which is pretty incredible because uh, that's even more compatible than some ROM carts. I had somebody that owns an NT Mini try out Legend of Link, that game I've been mentioning lately, uh, and that works fine on it, where it will not work on ROM carts. So that alone is pretty awesome. But on top of that, he's going to start releasing different cores for you to load up and play, which means that same FPGA will allow you to play like Atari 2600, ColecoVision, and probably a, uh, a few others. He said he was going to launch one core a week until he was able to get as many ported over as possible. So um, if this works well, that basically means that that one NES console will be able to output HDMI and RGB for a ton of different consoles. Uh, I'm really impressed. I ordered one. Um, it should be here by the end of this week, and I should have a, a full review by next week. And I, I'm just really excited to try it out and see, what, you know, let's see what it does for real. Because it's just that's a huge announcement. And uh, I guess I'll just update everybody once I get it in. But you know, huge props to Kevtris for releasing that. You know, that's amazing. Just goes to show you he really is on the side of all of us retro gamers. So thanks for all your hard work, Kevin. And that's I can't wait to have you back on to talk about that. Next up, there's an update on the Retro DC Powered, which is that one power supply that works with pretty much every retro gaming console. First, they're open for pre-orders again, and it should ship, I believe, around April. Um, and I spoke to Ben, and he had a message for everybody. He, uh, he said he apologizes for it being a month late, and that he'll extend the warranty from six months to a full year for everyone that had to wait. Um, which I'm smirking because it's only a month late. That's pretty incredible that he's been so rock solid on time and it's just one guy working on this whole project so it's you know i you know he said everybody was really patient and understanding and respectful and i mean i i'm sure they would be it's just one guy working on one project but i absolutely love this thing um and i've never had any problems with it and in fact he said that he hasn't had any malfunction yet at all uh, I actually just bought a second because I want to have one in my uh, rolling cart with my BVM on it all nice and zip tied away, and I want a second one on my bench top so when I do video captures or anything else, I don't have to unhook anything. So um, I highly recommend people pick one up. At the very, very least, this thing will perfectly replace those three huge power bricks for Genesis, Sega CD, and 32X. But I literally, I use it for everything. I even bought the little adapter to be able to use it on a SNES. And I just leave it in my setup, and I have one console at a time where I just bring the console over, take the retro DC, plug it in, um, grab the RGB cable, plug that right into my monitor, and go. So anybody that has a scenario like that, they'd probably want it as well. So uh, definitely pick one up if you need it. Okay, and last in the news, a quick update from Badass Consoles. All right, man, I really appreciate you jumping on very quickly. Um, I just wanted to, to get a few things straightened out because I, I've gotten a couple of really, really shitty emails in the past few weeks 
Um, and the one that finally drove me to actually bother you and drag you on Skype when you have better things to do was uh, somebody said they jumped on your Twitch stream and saw you playing, like, Punch-Out or something. And they're like, well, what the hell, dude? I paid, you know, you have all our money, and now you're sitting there playing Punch-Out. You know, why aren't you working right. on our shit? So I, I have to admit, whole, as much as this makes me probably sound like an ignorant ass, um, if I had not worked for a company where I was a big part of the manufacturing chain, um, I might have had a, bitty, a bit of a pissy attitude about it. I uh, I might have said that to your face at a bar over beers when we were joking, but I would have never sent an email that way that came across. Um, but I would have been annoyed, like, where's my stuff? But right. because I have worked for a manufacturing company and I've seen how these things work, if you have something that has 10 pieces and piece number three gets delayed, everything else gets delayed until that's finished. And then you get to piece number six, and if that's one little thing off, everything stops. So I get it. I get everything that's surrounding that. But um, from uh, from the man himself, would you mind just explaining where you're at with GameCube video, the time frame that people could expect, and when I can get my demo unit because I'm also a selfish fuck and I want to review it. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so last week I was in process of doing the uh, certification testing on all the boards. And what that requires is – let me see if I have it here somewhere. I have a, uh, a test bed that I designed specifically for the GameCube. And the way the test bed works is – let me grab a, a GC video here. So I have the uh, test bed with the uh, new flex that's wired into the test bed. The uh, GC video will go right onto the test bed. I'll see if I can get a good shot on the camera. So it would sit right on, mm -hmm. and from there, that would allow me to test uh, HDMI video output uh, component mm. video output. It'll uh, SPDIF connection for anybody that wants to add um, uh, fiber optic audio. So. Uh, creating the test bed is the most important part of the process in order to validate each and every single board without having to solder each one to a GameCube. Gotcha. So uh, the test bed is functional. The uh, uh, flex cables are functional. That has been validated. So that monkey is done. Good. Um Flex cables are working 100% proper. Everything's fine. I think you, sh you showed them on video last time, but here's some uh, close-ups for anybody. I don't know how well that's yep, going to come Yep, and I see the cutouts the are properly made. Uh, yeah, the cutouts are definitely there this time. You can see the like, thickness right of there. the cable. They're not flopping over when you're holding them. Yeah, so yeah, they're really, built. really uh, strong cables this time. They're really good. Good. Uh, unlike the crap little ones that I got last time. And so... Uh, a lot of people are wondering, you know, you send the, the cables over to company. Why, you know, they said they were going to make them. Why didn't you get them? Right. I find that hard to believe. Why didn't you get them back? Well, I don't know why I didn't get them back. I had to go in, spend uh, another few thousand dollars to go to a completely different company and have uh, the cables manufactured. Hmm. So it would have probably been easier to just cancel the whole thing, uh, refund everybody their money. But uh, at the same time, I was determined to, you know, I'm going to make this happen. 
got to make it happen. This is this is going to be the right way to do it. Well, just also don't um, forget that the the loudest voice isn't normally the majority. It's just the loudest voice. I think right you'd have, the minority. Yeah, right. I think you have a lot of understanding people that are of course frustrated because we all want to play with the new gadget, but mm-hmm. understand where you're going through. And I think. I think the majority of the people would have been really upset if you just canceled it and refunded the money. We'd rather yeah, just that, wait, and when it comes in, it comes in. That would have definitely been the worst way to go because there's a lot of people that are definitely excited. There's a lot of people that come in with emails that say, oh, hey, great. Okay, yeah, thanks for the update. I understand. There's a lot of people like that. There's just those couple of people that, uh, that get really uh, impatient uh, a guy that makes an order last week and already wants an update on uh, what what his order is. So you know, um, uh, when something like that happens, you know, I, I tell the guy that you know you're at the very back of the line. It's gonna be a while. It really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I mean, what else am I gonna say? Oh yeah, just you know, wait a little bit and, and it'll be fine. No, you know, up front, you know, you're at the end of the line, dude. It's gonna take you a while to get it done. There's like 500 orders in front of you. Jeez. So. Um, uh, well, anyway, okay, so the test bed. Uh, one of the problems I was having with the test bed is it even even though uh, the pins were the, the proper sizing, proper spacing, everything needed to be done, it was not absolutely making the best contact. So what was happening is I was getting uh, possibly 50 attempts to fit the board just to try to validate video. And, you know, that kind of process is going to take forever to individually test each and every board. Right. Yeah. So what I did was I made a, uh, a small design change to the test bed itself so that I could go about a different manner to perform my validation testing. And uh, right after validation testing is done, that is the last step. Uh, shipping goes out right after that. So uh, as far as like the guy that, you know, you said he came on my Twitch stream, saw me playing punch out. Sure. I was playing punch out. <laughs> was he there? Was he there the previous hours? Because I stream at least 10 hours a day. Yeah. At least. You if, if anybody and I say, you know, I'm glad you brought you got me on video here now. If anybody at any time wants to know anything that's going on, if you even have a problem with your order, if you got a question about your order, anything, find me. Twitch TV, badass consoles, I'm there. I'm there for at least 10 hours a day most times. So I would uh, actually recommend that any any nerds that like nerd stuff jump on too because I've uh, I very often put your channel on in the background. <laughs> like instead of listening to the radio, I will throw that up on like a second screen. And okay, like when you were doing some of the, the, the micro soldering of those actual GameCube video boards itself, it's cool. It's just like having an awesome thing on in the background. So... Yeah, uh, a lot of times people come in with just random video game questions, you know, about the console. I just I help out random people there. Uh, some people, oh, they bring up the Framemeister OSSE thing. Uh, I have both of those right now with me. Uh, one user, Syndex, he uh, he sent me both of his Framemeister OSSE, and I was able to do some tests with those yesterday, along with uh, needing to do the audio upgrade mm-hmm, to, to OSSC. his uh, OSSE. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, all the instructions on that. Yeah, well, um, that was Bordy just saying, here's what I did. He didn't make right, set instructions. Right, so. right. And, I, and I didn't see anything that was really available for it. So yeah. uh, hopefully that'll come along. Uh, the OSSC performs great. 
from what I see, it performs great. I like it better than Framemeister. It's not a... Uh, Me too. Um, overall, I think Framemeister is a better complete product, meaning it has like a full case, you know, yeah. surrounded, you know, connections, easy to plug in. Uh, there's a couple of issues with OSSE, but it can be worked out. It's open source. Right. It can be improved upon. But... Um, Anybody, you know, I'm on Twitch TV, badass consoles. People drop in all the time, ask me a question about their order number. Most times it comes down to they didn't read the email where it told them something like uh, if you ordered uh, Ultra HDMI, you know, you'll get an email soon with, with shipping information. If you ordered uh, uh, GC video, uh, you've been put on an installation queue. Uh, a lot of times it just comes out to something simple like that. Some people just didn't read or they didn't even check to see if they got an email. Uh, so, you know, a lot of that stuff is just hashed out right then and there live on Twitch. So gotcha. it's, it's, it's real easy to, uh, uh, take some minute to look up somebody's order information and, you know, get back some, uh, some information for them on where they're at. Well, so, I think that's an easy way to contact you um, if somebody uh, needs to be proactive about something. Um, and I right. think it's, you know, you could go on Twitch at any for free. I mean, it's not like it's a subscription. You have to sign up, I think, if you want to comment, but it's just another thing. Um, respectfully, may I offer a small bit of constructive criticism, though? Sure. Um, for people who need proactive um, contact like that, that's, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, it's perfectly fine. But this is the day and age of people want information to go to them. So would you be willing to commit to like one tweet a week or something? Just you know, even if it's got the test bed up, things are progressing. Um, just to kind of put to bed all the people who might not be able to jump on Twitch who can um, at least get it. Well, yeah, you know, assuming people are watching your video, assuming people are even monitoring tweet. What about uh, well, Twitter? What about the ones that? Don't monitor Twitter. Don't watch your video. The ones just read forums or are only, you know, Reddit only. If it's not on Reddit, you know, they don't they don't see any other information that happens in the world. So uh, there's those. I other do have a strong that... opinion about that. And once again, opinion. I'm sure I'm going to piss everybody off by saying this, but um, I'm not a big Mr. Social Media guy. You'll never see right. me post on Twitter or Facebook like, "Hey guys, look at this new soft drink I found." Like it's not me. I use it for for information and news. But in the day and age of cell phones and everybody has a device strapped to them at all times, to sign up for a free Twitter account and to follow the people that post only information or occasionally some funny shit, but they're not uh -huh. spammers. You know, um, I think that if somebody's not willing to do that, they have no right to complain. Well, I only like to go to this forum. Uh, all right, well, that's nobody else does, so fine, whatever. But I, I think that's I, – I am a fan of Twitter just because if somebody's really important, you can have it pop up like a text. If uh, if you if somebody spams a lot, you could mute it so they don't even show up, or it's, you know, halfway in between. So that is um, – maybe I'm wrong, and if right, anybody's yeah, watching posts in the comments, I just feel like that's a very easy and direct way to just keep everybody in the loop. I've uh, I've actually had people sign up to Twitter to follow me directly uh, because I tell them I don't spam. Hmm. The only time I'm really going to put something up on Twitter is if it's something important, you know, rather than as you indicate, like, oh, look at the new mouse I got, right? Yeah, uh, and I do tell know, Look at what I'm know. eating today. So, <laughs> Well, a bunch of people always ask me where and how can I get the Ultra HDMI, and I always tell them, follow you guys on Twitter. 
and the people that listen never complain because they get the they get the notification. You know, I have it set so when you po- uh, when you post, a few people actually it comes as if it were a text, and I never miss out on anything because it comes right to me. I don't have to go and do anything. <laughs> so right. it's you know, I think I feel like if um if you did that. Uh, and the people that need to contact you, maybe just go through Twitch. I think that would kind oh. of just silence most of the people with an issue. Uh, speaking of Twitter, some people are sending me uh, tweets. Like, uh, uh, we'll, we'll say their their name is Benchtop on Twitter, okay? Their name is Benchtop. That's their name. And they're at console. Benchtop at console, <laughs> okay? They send me a tweet. Hey, what's my order number? How am I going to put together any right. type of information to give you anything you need to know? Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just don't. No, no, no. Um, uh, sending, sending a tweet on how to get an order status is not really the best way to go unless you're willing to put your order number and any other information, which I suggest you don't do. Not on a tweet. It's too much for a tweet for any business at all, small to right. big. I just – it's not uh... – it's not something I would recommend anybody does. So right, and Yahoo, Yahoo. Uh, there was uh, Ultra HDMI, the cell that I just did for Ultra HDMI back in June 9th, mm-hmm. I think it was. Uh, there was everybody that had a Yahoo email account. The email got returned. It did not go through. So I've been having a tremendous amount of problems with Yahoo lately as well. I went to um, send an email to somebody in France. I was actually replying, so I know I got the address correct. Mm-hmm. It bounced back immediately, said, you know, right. uh, undeliverable. So I just resent it. It worked fine. Um, I was using my wife's iPad, just you know, kind of just skimming through shit. I'm like, oh, let me email myself something. I forgot about it, and three days later, I'm sitting working during the day, and the email pops up as if it was just sent. So there is an issue lately with Yahoo emails, and I think it's especially for people that use um, private domains. So I'm, you know, retrorgb.com, but my email account goes through Google. So it's, you know, I think that's a big issue with it. But, yeah, people with Yahoo email accounts, um, that's another thing. So, But that's that's uh, great that you have Twitch then. You know what I mean? If, If somebody from Yahoo says, you know, I genuinely have sent Michael, like, four emails jump on twitch then it could very well just be that they got misplaced through yahoo servers yeah i I had that exact same thing happen like three or four times already people drop by the twitch and say hey i haven't received the email i sent i I told them are you on yahoo every single one was yes it's great okay give me like a gmail account hotmail account give me something else send them the email right then and there or like the next day later Gotcha. But uh, but i mean at least you know we were able to establish that quick open communication Right there on Twitch Live. And like I said, I'm there like about 10 hours a day. Yeah. So if – and and the the time zones that I stream in would be like evening in the U.S. through like morning in Europe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that way I'm almost able to, to reach globally during my streaming hours. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it should work out. I mean that – I feel like that should be good enough for everybody to work around. You know, you tweet basic updates. Um, people email for things that are, you know, it's email. You'll get to it when you get to it. And if it's something important or if your emails aren't getting through, go into Twitch. Or if you just want to watch a fun Twitch stream, go into Twitch. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, right. yeah, I feel like that's a fair way. And, you know, you can't make everybody happy. But, you know, I, the people that still complain, unless it's the, the rare valid reason, I, I just, I, I don't know, I don't. 
I don't take much stock in people when, when somebody's putting forth the effort to make something like this happen when people complain like that. So, yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, yes, it bothers me, but I just, I also understand like, yeah, you know, I, there's just those people because for every one of those, there's about 20 others that are like, Hey, cool. You know, no problem. You know, yeah. great. Take your time. I'd rather have a product that that's absolutely the way it needs to be rather than something just got hashed out and, and thrown out a back door. Couldn't agree more. So um, now that your test bed's working, um, when uh, when do you think that you'll be able to start the first shipments of them? The uh, test bed was just went through a redesign, right? Just to okay. So the test bed just went through a redesign, and that's coming in uh, this Friday from uh, oh okay, uh, okay. Osh Park, Osh Park, yeah. So I was doing a test bed uh, uh, checking, you know, confirmation, validation, testing uh, last week on stream. And uh, that's when I started having issues, noticing the issues with the test bed. So uh, spent uh, another stream just redoing the, the design on the uh, test bed, sent that off. That should come back in this Friday. So if it does come in this Friday to Osh Park, then they got to ship it out. They're expecting to receive it Friday. I'm not expecting to receive it Friday. Okay. So they're expecting to receive it Friday. I should get it Monday, Tuesday. As soon as that thing gets in. Uh, drop it in, solder it up, start doing more testing, then I'll know uh, absolutely for sure, okay, great, this is good to go, everything's good to go, uh, start er putting everything in motion. Gotcha, okay. So um, if you just want to, you know, whenever those minor things happen, if you just want to fire up a tweet and keep everybody in the loop, um, this, is, this is good. I mean, it's very, to me, I mean, it's amazingly clear the progress the wait, why we're waiting, what we're waiting for. It makes perfect sense to me. Hopefully, after seeing this video, it'll make sense to everybody else as well. So, right. Well, it might not, but we can hope. Yep. I mean, like I said, if I hadn't been there in that other company and I hadn't experienced it for myself, I, I don't know that I would fully understand what's going on right now. So I give everybody the benefit of the doubt for that one because I would have probably been you know feeling the same way. But... Um, hopefully little short little updates and videos like this will bring people up to speed and just, you know, help, help people understand, I guess. Right. Cool. All right. Well, as always, thanks. And, uh, I can't wait to see what comes next. And, uh, yeah, oh, speaking of what's coming next, uh -oh. did you happen to catch my video from a couple of days ago when I did the 64? No. Do you want to make an announcement oh. Uh, well, I don't know if I want to make an announcement. Uh, I had to redesign the board because uh, right. it, it was it was good. It was good, but I found some improvements I could make just on the actual uh, layout of the design. But essentially, uh, what the board does is you know all straight from your sixty four controller. Okay? okay, so at the push of a button, you can uh, overclock your console. Uh, of course, it goes through a reset mode. It has to reset oh, yeah, no matter yeah. what. No matter what. It has to reset the CPU. So, But you don't have to get up. So if you want to overclock your console, you press in a, a button command, another command, a confirmation, and it resets into the new clock speed. If, uh, if you're playing a game, uh, uh, Pokemon, you're outmatched, oh, I'm going to reset. Reset. So you can reset, in-game reset, from your, from your controller. Don't even have to get up. Uh, another thing that I've put into the board design was a replacement uh, front LED for the 64. Mm -hmm. uh, you can adjust the colors, whatever you want, using the analog stick. That's very so cool. So if you have that special shade of blue 
that you need that you can't find in a regular LED. You go out and buy blue LEDs and you put them on. It's like, ah, it's not quite the blue that I need. Well, you can fine-tune the color with the analog stick and get that shade that you want. That's kind of awesome. Uh, so whether you want like a blue, a green, purple, red, orange. And I'm doing that for the uh, uh, NES. And uh, I'm going to bring it to Super Nintendo and GameCube also. But, uh, I mean, there's really no need for it, but have you, I just um, might as Have well. you tested the overclock with the Ultra HDMI? Does that affect that? It works. It works. It's fine. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So you can, because you're overclocking the uh, CPU. Mm-hmm. All right. So it this this is uh, so whatever uh, uh, the CPU is doing is gonna uh, transfer move everything forward to the uh, uh, RCP. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. Yes, you can overclock and have Ultra HDMI at the same time. It doesn't affect audio like you would expect on the old uh, NES. Right. It would make up-clock. the audio you try um... to upclock and then the audio pitch is a little bit off. It, right. it doesn't do that. It does not do that. It's perfect audio. That's really awesome. So, all right, any time frame for that? Uh, those test boards are going to come back Friday. Um, uh, I'll probably have them by Tuesday, and yeah, and that'll be uh, ready to go. Awesome. Well, so, thank well you. not ready to go. That's just to confirm that, confirm they, that, that it works. That the new design works oh, okay. and then send off a bulk batch. So, But, a, you know, a bulk batch to get PCBs, and that's like two weeks. Gotcha. All right, well, thank you very much for the update. Yeah. Okay, on to the Q&As. Um, so, still a lot of Nintendo Switch speculation in the comments uh, and through a few emails and stuff. Um, I mean, it's really hard to say anything for something that hasn't been released to the public yet. I did pre-order one. I did through Target, so I don't know if it's going to get here on launch day, but the day I get it, you know, I'll probably have a review up in a few days that's just like a launch day review because it's not fair to, to review any console on day one. I mean, they're just getting started. But, um, I mean, there was a lot of great opinions and a lot of great opposing opinions in the, in the comments. I know uh, Dan posted a long thing that I, I thought was great. Um, and I do love opposing opinions. I mean, Dan, actually, uh, I see him every couple of weeks post something that, you know, we don't always agree on stuff, but I, I love his opinions. I hope he keeps posting them. But there were a few really sensitive Nintendo fanboys that, uh, I mean... Uh, I'm, I don't get the whole brand loyalty thing. Um, I, it, it exists. It exists in all all manners of retail. But the only thing I care about when it comes to video games is that I have enjoy my game. That's it. I don't care who it comes from or where it comes from. And just for the record, I had somebody email me and say, why do you hate the Switch? I mean, you can't hate something that doesn't really exist to the public yet. I don't hate anything. The only thing I... Uh, the only perspective I have on the Switch. Um, a lot of things I said uh, came across the wrong way. Some things may have actually I may have said the wrong way, and for that I, I apologize. Anything that fell out of my stupid mouth the wrong way. But my only opinion on the Switch preconceived is that I wish I was more excited about some of the specs, but all that matters is the games. So, you know, if I don't really want to keep up any more speculation because I'll get it soon enough. We all will. And after we get it, you know, yeah, let's hash it out and talk more about it. But uh, I guess it's a touchy subject, and a lot of people commented. You know, a lot of good comments. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of very sensitive comments, and then I, I, a lot of behind-the-scenes emails. People uh, people weren't happy with some of the things I said, but hey, 
Uh, I'm just me, sorry. But uh, yeah, I mean, always though, don't ever, ever hold back any of the comments, um, any any discussions, opposing opinions, all that stuff. I love it. Keep it coming. Just maybe keep a bit of an open mind, and I will try my hardest to do so as well. Okay, next up, Daryl Christie had a question. He asked, what's the best non-one-chip Super Nintendo? So any of the two-chip uh, two SNESs. Um, to be honest, I don't know, and I should have been paying attention all these years. The problem is a lot of the testing I've done has changed because I found much better ways since day one to do comparisons. Even just a few weeks ago, which uh, I'm sure I'll have a video on that soon, I've found like the best way I've possibly found so far to test different SNES versions. So um, I, I really should have been keeping track, but I don't really know what's the best non to, uh, non one chip version. Um, Bordy actually chimed in. Bordy has done a ton of research into the SNES and has a bunch of awesome mods. And his perspective is uh, try to find a console with chipset 111, which should only be present on very early SHVC CPU mainboards with very low serial numbers. Um, I don't remember which ones of those I've tested. Um, the only thing I do remember is um, the one that I tested that seems to have been the worst, <coughs> excuse me, is SNS CPU GPM02. And uh, with each pause was a dash in there if you're looking it up. Um, maybe I just so happened to stumble across two consoles that had bad caps or something, but those were the ones that were consistently, like, really bad. Um, I talked to Steve from HD Retrovision on a regular basis. He's had a couple over the years that were also consistently terrible. Um, and uh, he even notices some of the differences between the two chip versions. Like, he could take a screenshot, and based on the interference, he's like, oh, yeah, that's the... Um, we had that conversation one time. It's pretty awesome, actually. So I don't know. Um, there is a bunch of people working on many different ways to try to improve the two chips. But it's a... None of them are great, none of them are easy, and you still, today, don't get the quality you get out of a one-chip or a mini. The only downsides are there are a few weird glitches on some games, um, and, you know, somebody still claims that Star Fox runs slower. I don't notice it. I love Star Fox. I played it uh, played uh, as best I can, not played through it uh, a couple of times, and I don't really notice a difference, but maybe I'm I'm totally wrong about that. But it's in my it's my strong opinion that if you love the SNES, you get a modded mini or one chip, um, and you get a two chip just for all those things that might bug you about those other games, uh, and then kind of just wait for somebody to invent something better. Maybe the better is an FPGA based one, uh, which you know who knows how long it'll take for that to come about. But uh, or if you're just a casual SNES fan, or if you really really like it but you don't obsess over it like you know me. Um, just get a great one chip or mini and you'll be totally happy. So, uh, I'm sorry I couldn't directly answer your question, but hopefully I was able to get enough info in. Next, Mad Mad asked, is the Pi 2 SCART or RGB Pi a good option for MAME on an RGB monitor? Could you use an arcade style controller on it? And what would the total cost be of that kind of setup? Um, that's actually my preferred way to do it nowadays. Um, I like both of those, the Pi 2 SCART and the RGB Pi. At the moment, I would recommend the Pi 2 SCART, but the RGB Pi is amazing and making really great progress. Um, I, I'm only saying the Pi 2 SCART just because it's a, 
I don't want to use the word generic because Arcade Forge did a great job on it, but it's just an overall good solution for everything. You don't need custom anything. Um, and arcade-style controllers, it really just, uh, as long as there's a USB interface, it'll work with both. Um, there's one other Raspberry Pi project that's designed to also work with existing analog controllers, but there's no, um, there's no solid release date on that. As far as arcade-style controllers go, you can find cheap ones that I guess would be starter controllers um, that will work as long as they're USB-based. Um, my personal advice on that is just buy anything cheap to see if it's a novelty for you or if it's something you really want to use. Uh, me personally, I have an X-Arcade Solo, which is good. You know, a lot of people hate it. I like it. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But that was meant to be my starter controller, my spare. I'm having my friend Ben make me like a, a real arcade quality controller with a spinner and a stick and all the buttons. And that's probably going to be a couple hundred bucks at least. But now you're talking actual arcade style controller, like really good quality. Um, so the, the cost is actually the thing that I'm, I'm most happy about. Um, to get a kit that comes with a power supply and a case and everything... Um, the Raspberry Pi is going to run about $50. Then if you want to get a Pi to scar or the RGB Pi is about the same. After shipping, you're looking at about $40. Um, I would always recommend a really good micro SD card. The ones I use are probably overkill, but they're going to be like $30 each. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, you're looking at $150, including a cheap, okay arcade controller. Um... But as far as comparing it to like a, a full PC setup, Linux or Windows, unless you have all the parts already laying around, unless you happen to have an, a, a video card that's compatible with CRT ME driver, I really feel like that's way cheaper. Um, if you have to buy all new parts, it definitely is. If you have an extra PC laying around, maybe you could just use that for free. But the setup is the thing that I always really um, kind of felt strongly about. It's not easy to set up an arcade machine. Some people say it is, but these are also IT guys. Um, to set up a Pi using something like Laka or the RGB Pi software itself, I, we're talking 20 minutes. I have a guide up on my site with a video. Um, even if you watch the whole video, then it's 30 minutes. So it's uh, it's just really easy. You, you know, you load the image, you load your ROMs, and you configure the controller, and you're going. Um, whereas, I, I mean, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours doing the, the PC side, both Linux and Windows. So um, to, the short answer to your question is, it's my personal opinion that yes, the RGB uh, mods to a Pi, meaning you know any of those boards, uh, on a Sony PVM is an excellent solution. The games I play seem to work great. I mean, it's emulation, you're always going to get a minimum of two frames of lag, but I love the first Mortal Kombat, and I love OutRun, and a few other classics like that. They all play perfect. Um, and, you know, some people legitimately want to play games that are a little too new for it, because it's impossible for the Raspberry Pi to be as powerful as a fully dedicated video card. But, generally speaking, I've had great success, and I strongly recommend it. So, uh, I hope that was a decent answer to your question. Next, Uzmaki82 asked, Have you noticed the inflated prices for consumer CRTs on eBay? No. Is that a thing now? <laughs> um, eBay's, 
you know, eBay is so weird. I mean, you have access to buying and selling things from around the planet, which is amazing. I've gotten so many wonderful things on eBay that I could have never gotten anywhere else. But then you get crazy sellers on there. You always deal with them. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the guy selling a one chip for 750 Um but I don't know if that's a thing anywhere else. I still, um, one of my good friends, Justin, a.k.a. the Goodwill Hunter, that's one of his favorite hobbies, thrifting and finding good deals on stuff. And he consistently finds good CRTs in Goodwills for nothing, you know, 20 bucks, 40 bucks. Um, I still see him around the New York area, you know, in the suburbs, you know, just draw a huge circle around New York City um, for free or, or pretty cheap on Craigslist. Um, the only thing I would suggest is, it, you know, if you're paying for something specific, a widescreen XBR Sony, which I think is perfect for, like, those sixth-generation consoles, like uh, the PS2 and Xbox, that there's a lot of 480i games, but there's also a lot of 480p, some widescreen, great, I'd, I'd pay 100 bucks for that. Um, or ones that were, were known to be great for RGB modding. So my friend Jose Cruz, who's CruzLink2 on Twitter... Uh, I hope I didn't get that wrong, but um, he mods those on a regular basis now. He's done a handful of them. So um, when I say those, consumer-grade CRTs. So um, if there was one that he said that, yes, this is a good one to use, I would very happily pay extra for that. But generally speaking, if somebody's just looking for a, a beat-up CRT to use, or even a good quality one, I still wouldn't pay more than 50 bucks for it. You know, like a good Sony with a curved tube and component inputs... You could find those all day around me. Um, and they're a great option for, you know, I always tell people that are that want to get started in this, you know, they, I get a lot of like, well, you know, I don't know if it's nostalgia, I just want to try it. Go buy a Genesis, um, get HD Retrovisions cables, and plug it into the component input of any CRT, then get a SNES and get an S-Video cable and plug it into the S-Video input, and there you go. You have your, your starter kit, if you will. So, uh... No, I haven't noticed the inflated prices, and I would just completely ignore it, and I would never pay it unless uh, it was one of those specific scenarios I just mentioned. Next, Sean Hogan asked um, an OSSC-related question. He said he doesn't want to mod his child at N64, so he was planning on hooking up via S-Video, and he wanted to know um, if there was an S-Video to SCAR adapter that would work. So I have kind of two answers to that question. First, um, there's a bunch of different S-Video to RGB converters I've seen. Uh, my buddy James tried one, I think the most popular one, and he said it sucked. Uh, it said it barely worked. He was using it with a Commodore 64. I actually think Matt from Video Game Perfection tested the same one, and he agreed he didn't like it. I believe there's an Xtron one that people seem to think work okay. Um, but generally speaking, uh, it, it's... I haven't found one that's definitely perfect. So I don't think I would count on converting S-Video to RGB SCART to go into an OSSC. And also, just uh, in case you don't know, those adapters that you see that have an S-Video input in it, uh, so it's just a dongle with S-Video to SCART, that's just a pass-through. That doesn't convert it, so that's not compatible with the OSSC. So uh, I'm sorry. If somebody knows a good, reliable S-Video to RGB converter, please post in the comment. But... I got nothing there. Um, and as far as, I understand not wanting to mod your childhood N64. I've become really finicky about certain mods with certain consoles. Uh, I never want to cut plastic anymore unless it's absolutely necessary. But um, all the mods you can do on an N64, the RGB ones, 
You don't cut any plastic, and they're all 100% reversible. So whether you have one of the original ones that can do the simple RGB mod, um, that's three wires and Voltars board, and if you ever wanted to take that out, it's equally as easy. And if you have one of the later ones, you could put, <coughs> excuse me, you could put Tim's board in it, and it's a little harder to install and take out, but if you ever wanted to just put it back to stock, um, it, you could put it exactly back so it looks completely unmodded. So um, I would say just go for it and do it. Uh, and just, you know, don't trust the eBay modders. Have a good, reputable person do it. Um, I really need to get a, a trusted modders page on my site. I, I recommend people on each mod page, but I think I should just get uh, a page up with people that have proven good work. So um, if you have anybody that you already know, let me know. Or, or cool, and if not, let me know, and I'll try to point you in the right direction for good modders. And lastly, QWERTYMOTO posted uh, in regards to the making the MSU1 audio files, uh, and I put a link in the description uh, to one of his videos that actually is kind of like a tutorial on how to uh, make the looping audio files for it, which is so super helpful. Thank you so much, dude, for making that. Um, and uh, he also has links in that video's description for the tools that you need. I know I talked to um, Mikael. Maybe I got it this time. Uh, but I talked to him last week about it, and we talked about tools, and QWERTYMOTO has the links to all those in that video. So if anybody's interested, definitely check it out. Okay, up next, I have an interview with Renee from DV Electronics. Um, a huge apology to uh, everyone watching this one. I was still really sick when I did it, and I was trying so hard not to just go crazy and cough into the mic. I kept hitting the mute button and everything, and there were a few times that... Like, we would have a conversation, and there would be an awkward pause, and I would just kind of, like, do one of these and then start talking, and it was because I was trying to stop myself from going into a crazy coughing fit. So uh, I, I don't feel like I gave Renee the, uh, the respect or gave him the shit that he deserved. Um, I liked the interview. I always love talking to my friends on here, too. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it, and I hope to have him back on when I'm not sick and I could be a little more lively and fun. So... Uh, he still talked about a bunch of really great stuff. I really enjoyed it. Um, we went through a bunch of cool topics, and he will definitely be back on soon, hopefully when I'm not still really crazy sick and coughing like I still have been this entire podcast. I probably did about 40 takes of some of these just because I kept going into coughing fits during some of them. So, uh, yeah, uh, see you guys next week. As always, keep all the comments coming. I love to hear everybody's opinions and perspectives on things, uh, and uh, see you guys soon. Hey guys, I am here with my friend Renee from DB Electronics. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. You? Good. Well, I'm gonna start us out right. I have uh, I have here a glass with ice in it and absinthe. In oh shit! <laughs> in fact, it's Marilyn Manson's absinthe. Which at first I was like, why? Why would I want that? But then I realized that guy throws himself into every project he does. Here's the trick, <laughs> though. So um, when you pour it in, so it's this color that's greenish clear and then you kind of let it sit for a while and i'll show you what that looks like in a few minutes but it's a little nuts i love this stuff but Whoa. well i'll join you with my beer there you go oh i got a backup beer too for later <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's um a liquor store in new york city that's off the beaten path if you don't live in the city um but when you do live in the city you take advantage of shit like this so i went down and they have a wall of absinthe and 
everybody there knows everything about all their liquors. They're like, you know, they get really into it. So I ended up leaving the store one day with like $350. I had four bottles of it, different kinds. And this was the first one I opened was the Marilyn Manson one, which it's not bad, but it's not the best for any absinthe connoisseurs. So, Oh, I wouldn't know. I've never tried that. Although I leave with hundreds of dollars worth of India pale ale usually, but... <laughs> Yeah, I like all kinds of booze. I think I'm one of the few people that actually really enjoys the taste, too. So I don't just like getting a buzz going. I actually, you know, I enjoy all the different kinds. So Actually, it's funny you should mention that. I actually just like the taste, and I never drink to feel the buzz. As soon as I start feeling it, I stop drinking. So No, really? Yeah. That depends on my mood. I'm one of those people where I can completely enjoy a glass of wine and fine, but some nights I want many bottles of wine and then strap in <laughs> for a 3D movie and then go. So. But, yeah, well, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I, uh, as you can see, I'm still getting off a cold, but luckily this uh, Blue Yeti microphone has a mute button on it, so hopefully I won't be coughing into the mic at all. Um, but yeah, geez, I don't even know where to start. I think, uh, I don't even remember how I met you. I think I must have emailed you out of the blue because of one of your, uh, your one of your inventions. I think uh, it must have been the power, the power base converter that you made. I think so. The wasn't our first conversation about doing the 3D glasses on the on the FM power base? Something like that, right? It must have been. That was a couple of years ago. How'd you make yeah. it on that? <laughs> I'm uh, well. See, I figured out that there's there's several there's several protocols that uh, the new uh, 3D glasses use for. Um, I mean, the wireless ones, right? They're, they've got different infrared protocols to to trigger the shutters. And I figured that much out, and I need to to get some board space on the FM power base converter to actually run an infrared LED and try to figure out some method of uh, letting the user change between different protocols. Because it would kind of be like a universal remote controller you get at Walmart, right? You'd have to cycle through a bunch of different protocols until you find the one that triggers right. your pair of 3D glasses. So uh, so we kind of just jumped straight to the end here. So that is right. That is how we met. Um, I've had this strange obsession since I was a kid with the Sega Master System 3D games. I think I had a neighbor that was just one of those natural-born salesmen, and when the Genesis came out, he sold me his Master System because the guy could sell ice to an Eskimo, and he got me so <laughs> excited about it. And most of the games he gave me with it were junk, but I remember playing Space Harrier 3D on some crappy old TV, and I just I was blown away. I absolutely loved it. And I think ever since then, and there is, you know, out of the, what, seven or eight games, like four of them are great, really, really great. So I've kind of had an obsession with this. And I've always had the idea to try to get everything through the Genesis just to make one less thing to deal with. So that's right. I contacted you saying, uh, seeing if you could wire in the circuit for that 3.5 millimeter headphone jack directly into the power base converter that you built. But I think yeah. there was a power issue or something, right? It might cause issues with um, the FM chip for the FM version. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, a good layout, it wouldn't happen. But uh, the original uh, adapter on Sega Master System for those 3D glasses, it ha does have a charge pump on it. And it feeds uh, 12 volts to the glasses. And it's shuttering uh, a 12-volt signal. <clears throat> and the reason why I, I, I tended to go towards the, uh, the infrared path is because the uh, the YM2413, the FM chip on there, is already pretty damn noisy, and I had a, a really hard time in four different board spins before I was able to tone the, tone the noise down from it. So I'd really hate to put a 12-volt charge pump on there and start my, my noise hunt all over again. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. 
So, um, how did you get started doing all this stuff? I mean, you uh, you have some pretty pretty crazy designs up on your website. You know, these aren't just basic. Let's solder some pin converters together. I mean, you uh, you know, you went pretty in depth with a lot of it. How did you get started in electronics? Do you have an electrical engineering degree or something, or are you just uh, a hobby nerd like myself? <laughs> no, I I have an electrical engineering degree. Uh, I worked in the industry in uh, in Ottawa for for about five years and. During that time, I wasn't really interested in bringing my work home or doing any kind of tinkering at home. But uh, I moved away from from Ottawa uh, now five years ago, and uh, I did a bunch of odd jobs which had nothing to do with electronics until I landed my current job, which is a system administrator. But uh, I was aching to, to to do electronics works, right? So I decided to start tinkering at uh, at home after work to uh, simply not to lose uh, any of my knowledge, any of my skill set. And uh, I had a bunch of video games, right? So I decided, hey, oh, might as well attack uh, some of these problems, right? So the first one I made, uh, as you know, is the power base converter. And um, my motivation for that was simply, well, I wanted to buy one. And I thought that the eBay prices were kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I looked at what this thing was and it's just a pass-through right i mean it's the, a the original with a few components on it but you say you know it's funny it's you say it's just a pass-through but i've seen so many just not work over the years and i assume it's probably just one of the few capacitors it has on it probably leaked out just like the rest of everything the, uh, the caps and sega consoles but yeah, yeah so it's not only are you spending a lot of money on something it might not even work for more than a week when you get it you know and it only works in your Model 1, right? So, Well, it only fits in the Model 1. You know, it, uh, yeah. it only fits nicely. It'll work perfectly in a, th- uh, 30, um, a CDX. Um, if you do the mod, it'll work perfectly in a, a, a Model 3. I think it's really just the Model 2 that it uh, bumps up against the back. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm, I might be hearing some viewers screaming that it's not really a pass-through because there's an IC on there. There is, there, is a, there is a gal chip on the original PowerBase converter. And, and and all it does is there's a, like a small uh, BIOS in there that sets up the the stack for the uh, Z80. Mm-hmm. But I, through experimentation, I found out for like 99% of the games you don't need to set up the stack because properly written software will set up its own stack. Right, you're not going to depend on the the Sega Master System doing it all for you. So There's do you only know a... which games are not compatible with um, the uh, the standard um, uh, Master System to Genesis adapters then? I, I would have remembered which ones like uh, two or three years ago when I designed it. So I obviously say, not the popular ones then. Yeah. I want to say I had a hard time booting R-Type, hmm. but I might be wrong. Okay. I yeah, remember I mean, that was it's... one that I was testing with uh, when I did the FM power base because the FM has that, that uh, little BIOS to set up the stack like we're mentioning. That's right. That's right. So um, I get kind of a, a dumb question, but you're here, so whatever. Um, a lot of these <laughs> adapters, and I don't mean yours. I just I'm thinking in my head of all the pass-through adapters, and the one I actually am thinking of is the the S or the Master System to SG1000 one. Why are they so tall, especially the ones with no uh, no components on it? They really are just a pin pass-through. Is there any reason for that? I mean, obviously they can't be too short, or you couldn't push the cartridge down, or it hit the plastic, but. Why are so many of these pass-throughs tall? Because yours are pretty uh, neat and tidy, to be honest. It's about the size of a Game Genie, right? Yeah. 
<clears throat> well, I made mine the size it is so that it fits in a Genesis shell, right? Mm -hmm. the, the first version I made was as short as it had to be to fit in a Model 1 because the Model 1's a bit, the plastic casing's a bit higher than the Model 2. Mm -hmm. Then I realized, oh, this is stupid. I should make it fit in a cartridge shell. But uh, for the ones you're talking about, the SG-1000, I actually haven't seen one of those, so I I couldn't say why it's, it's taller. It's not just that, though. It's just very yeah. often I've seen over the Internet, especially with hobby projects, they're they're just two or three times as long as they need to be. And I never understood, is it just easier to make like that, cheaper? Was there an electrical reason? I can't imagine the longer the traces, the better. I think it's always the opposite with analog, pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't want to put antennas in your design for no reason. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So the um, the power base converter that you made that was like your first thing. And, uh, what was the follow up? Was the next thing the, just the one with the FM built in? No, no. I went for the uh, the, the Sega CD backup RAM cart after that. Same reason I'm assuming because they were really expensive yeah. on eBay. <laughs> yeah, but but I decided to tinker a bit more with that. See, I I actually didn't have an original, and I uh, I mean there, there were some schematics online, but they weren't really agreeing with each other. Some of them had an HC-138, some of them had an HC-139, and that's the um, an address decoder. Mm -hmm. And um, so I found some really high-res board scans. So actually, instead of uh, putting my faith in those schematics that people had drawn, I looked at the board scans, and I drew out the schematic for myself because there was a nice picture of the front and a nice picture of the back. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that there was a register on that chip, on the, sorry, on the board, that was outputting a certain number when when the Sega CD was addressing it, and I thought, well, hey, what happens if you change that number, right? And that way, I discovered that I could increase the size of the uh, backup RAM cart like that. Huh, that's pretty cool. So now this yeah. is still the uh, volatile memory with a battery in it, right? That's right. Yeah. Were you experimenting at one point to try to make it on an SD card or something like that? Didn't you mess around with that just to see if it was possible? Well, I'm looking at the Sega CD. BIOS disassembly right now. I'm trying to find, and I've I've read this somewhere online, but I can't. I'm I'm bookmarked it somewhere and I can't find it. But I've read somewhere that the Sega CD BIOS looks for ROM on the Sega CD backup RAM cart uh, for functions to use the backup RAM. And if there's none, then it just assumes it's SRAM and it writes to it. So what that means, if I if I uh, dumb it down a bit, is that you could theoretically put some sort of flash chip on there instead, and then provide functions to write to the flash because writing to flash is not the same as writing to SRAM. Hmm. And then like you could get away by not using a battery that way. Interesting. <clears throat> so you'd have to put some some kind of sixty-eight thousand code in there to 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 tell the Sega CD how to use that memory. You know, the the only reason that pops to mind is because um, I have two Sega CDs, and both uh, the battery um, the battery is always dead. And you know, I put a brand new battery in, and I never leave yeah. my Sega CD plugged in ever. So the battery dies very quickly. So um, luckily, I have a RAM cartridge um, because otherwise, I mean, it would just uh, all of my save games would be you know disappeared every time I turned it on. So, but well, you know. I, I'm not sure if you read, uh, I wrote a post on my website maybe two years ago, and I'm not actually sure that I translated it to my new website, but uh, I had changed the uh, SRAM in a Sega Saturn for a FRAM chip, right? That's a chip that doesn't need uh, a battery backup. Maybe I'm that's what I was certain... thinking of. Maybe it was the Saturn thing that you were that I read. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm fairly certain the same mod can be done in a Sega CD, right? So you can actually increase the size of the memory internal to the unit without screwing with the BIOS, mm -hmm. but you can definitely change the memory type. And if you would be able to put a FRAM chip in there instead, then you wouldn't need a battery. Hmm. I still think the best option is an optical drive emulator for the Sega CD. <laughs> That's right. I hope somebody comes up with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially because those things, um, they're so hard to ship. Just shipping them alone, you know, roll the dice and see if you're gonna, if it's gonna survive. And you know, they're starting to really just fall apart over the years. So, yeah, I have a couple of Model One Sega CDs, and they're just kind of on the shelf for show. I have, um, I keep changing the belts in them every once in a while. Some of yeah. them have the uh, Archimedes screw that's uh, destroyed. I had to add some plastic in there, but. Sadly, I got a, I have a model one and a model two, and I think uh, the one that works by far the best is built into my CDX. It just, you know, what a neat little compact device that thing was. I still need to get one of those. It's you, you have to because you're a Sega fan, even <laughs> <laughs> even though you probably won't use it as much because obviously, you know, when you're playing Genesis games, you want to play it on the $30 console you could replace easily, not the you know $250 one that's rare, but... For yeah, yeah. CD at least, you know, it's pretty cool. Hmm. So um, now I'm assuming Sega is your favorite con uh, con console um, because of all the, the different products you have based around it, right? Well, you know, I keep I keep saying online that I'm a Sega fanboy and I just do projects for, for Sega mostly. But uh, when I was a kid, I was pure Nintendo. Hmm. The original I had a or Sega... Super Nintendo? Or both? Uh, both. Both, yeah. I was I'm I'm old enough to have played a lot of NES before the SNES came out, mm -hmm. and uh, I had a Genesis and a SNES, and I by far favored favored the SNES when I was a kid. The reason I do a lot of projects for Sega is because the Sega's, it from an engineering point of view, it's such a nicer console. There's no, you know, screwing around with you know memory mappers or banking or all that bullshit. It's just it's a nice microcomputer design, and I like it. Hmm. Yeah, and I imagine there's a lot more documentation floating around for it too, it's because of you know they had a lot of the off-the-shelf parts, whereas you know Nintendo was everything proprietary. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a lot of PCs at the time that that had the same processor, right? So there was no shortage of knowledge for the 68K. Ooh, sorry. So, um. Uh, now you have those, and then um, what other Sega things do you have in the works now? I'm trying to think on your. Let me pull up your website in front of me here. <laughs> but um, so, uh, and I'll put the link in the description. But for the people that don't know, you're DB Electronics, so it's db-electronics.ca. Yeah. Um, and uh, so FM power base, power base mini, and your RAM cart. And then, of course, the other thing that I was always a fan of that uh, I've been I've been pimping out for you for a while because I just think it's a great solution is the graphics booster. Um, yeah, that's right. The only the only problem that I have with the the DB graphics booster is that unless somebody's a, a big fan of the Turbo Graphics 16, they won't get the reference. <laughs> so, like, I almost have to explain like when I talk about it, it's like, okay, this is an RGB box for a Turbo Graphics or PC engine. Like, the name doesn't uh, the name doesn't give it away, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's um. The reason I love that, well, two reasons is first of all because it actually works right. Because there's so many solutions out there, 
um, that, you know, especially some guys that slap stuff together on the forums and sell it that are not good. Now, that's not oh, a backhanded yeah. comment towards some of the forum guys. There are some guys on there that have been working their asses off and doing great designs for years. I'm not, sh- you know, I'm not trying to shit on their work, but I think we've all seen the ones where, you know, it almost looks like somebody cut apart a board with a hole puncher and then soldered some of, you know, stuff on it and some, some pretty bad stuff out there. So when I came across yours, it worked perfect. I loved it. Um, but also it's, you, there's no modding. So, you know, I, most people in the retro gaming scene, believe it or not, don't want to mod. They just want to play their games the way they're meant to be played. So just the fact that you get to plug it in and it works is really awesome. But not only that, you included the, I, now correct me if I'm wrong, but you included the Sony CXA chip that takes the RGB signal and makes its own composite in S video. But then you also yep. have the composite from the console, so uh, people yep. could choose whichever one their eyes prefer if they could even see a difference. Yeah, that's right. This uh, CXA 1645, mm-hmm. it's the same chip that you find in the Sega Saturn, actually. In some of the later model Genesis consoles, right? Like the 3? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with the 3. I don't actually own one, but uh, I think I've read that. that the you chip got one is now it, sitting on your shelf in the box I sent you. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I kicked the box. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so how did so, that? So, like you said, it's uh, the, the my main motivation for that for the graphics booster was was modless. Uh, as I was reading forum posts and you know instructionals and whatnot online, I saw these hack jobs that you're talking about. Right? People are are putting some god-awful circuits in their in their pc engines and their turbo graphics i mean even now i mean you can go on ebay and search for a, a turbo booster replacement and you'll find this awful awful oh, amplifier yeah right i mean we'll come back to that because i yeah. have i have questions for you about that okay but, yeah uh, continue. i mean that's god awful <laughs> i mean you, i wouldn't even use that as a paperweight because it's oh. so damn awful right but so, uh, yeah like i said want to design this and it was, the same thing there wasn't something good and affordable out there for you it was no this one it wasn't about good and affordable like i said it was about being modless right i had seen some solutions where some guys made a cable and it plugged to the back but they were just kind of passively routing the composite and the audio signals to rca jacks right well there was two or three cables and some of them contained the amp and the circuitry on the console side. And as far as I know, I've never tested one in person, but people that I trust, uh, they were both European manufacturers. People that I would trust normally out there said that there was no complaints, nothing crazy, but there was somebody else that had just a bare adapter on the console and all of the amp and circuitry was in the SCART head, which is not good at all. So Yeah, it's way too far away from the, from the console. Um, yeah, so my first design of that actually didn't include the the CXA 1645. It was just a THS, um, like the 7314. Yeah, you were one of the first people that uh, that said, hey, you know, how come the CXA is sharper than the 7314? And I, I'm, I like it better, yeah. Yeah, and at the time I was thinking, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but this thing is readily available and I could shove it in my Mini and make a great installation. But you were you were one of the catalysts for me going... You know, why isn't this as sharp as it could be? It's a brand new chip. And that was actually, I think it was Bordy who found the 7374. Well, found. I mean, it's been on the market for a long time. But Bordy yeah. was the one that actually explained about the internal filters and everything. And so, yeah, it's uh, you certainly had an eye for it from the beginning because the CXA definitely is sharper. And and it was kind of a fluke why I started using that chip is because uh, 
when I first when I had the first revision of graphics booster, which had the 7314 in it, I posted on Sega 16, and I said, hey, I got this modless way of uh, getting RGB amplified out of the Turbo Graphics, and it's got audio and whatnot. And then uh, Joe Redifer from GameStack, he posted, hey, wouldn't it be great if you had S-Video? And I kind of went, oh, shit, you know, my board's obsolete right away. Because <laughs> for, for most most of us North Americans, right, if you got a CRT, it's probably easier to plug in S-Video than anything else, right? Yeah. So I said, okay, well, you know, I started hunting for a chip for S-Video, and then I found uh, this chip was used in the Sega Saturn and, like you said, in the Genesis 3. So I, uh, you know, just looked at the app note, really. I mean, that's how that's how all these video designs are done for uh, for those Sony chips. Anyways, they all they figured out the work for you in the data sheet, so. Hmm. So, um, well, first of all, this is what I was oh, talking yeah. about. That's, uh... See how, well, you probably can't. It's a different camera. See how that color change? That's how you know the absinthe is working. Changes color, Where? chemicals kick in. That's what gives you the buzz. <laughs> how strong is that? Um, if you were to just take a shot of it, it's as strong as your average, very strong like schnapps liqueur. Um, but you know, putting the ice on it and waiting for it to turn that color, um, that's what gives you a kind of better buzz. It's almost like you know. It's not quite like smoking a joint. It's almost like you're in the room with somebody who just did, and then you're drinking <laughs> a beer. So, <laughs> but second yeah. hand smoking a joint. Exactly. But uh, I, I <laughs> always liked it. it. Tastes weird, you know. But, um, sorry about that. So I just, uh, um, so that kind of sums sums up the graphics booster. But I mean. <clears throat> It's a little bit more involved than that because how come your design, like, did you actually, I mean, you had to have sit there with an oscilloscope and and kind of checked every single signal because when you're routing through the CXA, you still have to put components on the S-Video and composite ends, right? It's not just Um, direct from the chip to the uh, port, is it? Well, you know, deceivingly enough, the, uh, the CXA does most of the work for you, right? You just... You input RGB to it, um, and then you, you got to, I mean, you do have to calculate a few things, but it, it's, like I said, it's mostly app note copying and putting it on your uh, on your board. And you, you do have to get a, a good layout, though. I mean, you can't just, uh, you know, route signals every now and then or, or you know, press the auto route button on your, on your PCB layout software. <laughs> you have to be smart about it, but uh, no, I mean, if somebody's telling you, oh, well, it's a big secret design, well, no, it really isn't. It's 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 in the data sheet. <laughs> cool. So um, now that is now available directly from you um, and also through Stone Age Gamer. And aren't they <clears throat> aren't they selling that with a case now as well? Yeah, yeah. I actually, I designed the board so that it fits inside a standard uh, Hammond enclosure. Okay. And uh, Ryan over at Stone Age Gamer, he programmed his CNC to cut out the holes perfectly for that. That's cool. Yeah, they they call it the the engine block AV, I think. That's pretty neat. I like that. Um, yeah, that's will my, they be uh, selling just the case on there as well, or just uh, the whole thing as a package? He tells me once he's filled his pre-orders that he will sell the case individually as well. That's great, because a lot of us that have been using it for a long time, um, you know, my buddy Justin, he's the one that gets all the good deals by going to the different thrift stores and stuff. He loves it, but he doesn't leave his turbo graphics out on display because he just, you know, 
Uh, he likes when everything looks all uniform and neat. And, you know, <laughs> all of us nerds have l- at least a little bit of OCD in us, so I'm sure we understand what that's like. But So I totally get it. He's been bugging me since day one. Like, hey, when are you going to get me a case for that thing? You know, I want to make sure – I want to want it to look pretty in my game room. So, yeah, that's well, – uh, I, I, I'll have to mention, though, there's, uh, there's different board revisions, and I had to make a slight tweak to get it to fit right in that case because I did have uh, like a two- or three-millimeter difference – on the um on my first revisions so if i remember correctly it's uh see board revisions 1.1 and up will fit in the case but if not you would just have to you know use a drill or a dremel and widen the holes a tiny bit right yeah you'll have to you'll have to definitely persuade it with some tools but it's not like you have to re-drill all the holes you would just need to kind of tweak what was already there yeah yeah Yeah. And and it won't fit as nicely in the back of the console, but I mean, most of us, I mean, you put it in your shelf, you plug it in, and that's it, you don't touch it, right? There's no mm-hmm. kids throwing these consoles around, so you should be fine. But I still only, I still only officially say that the case will work with Rev 1.1 and up. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and people that have bought some of the first graphics boosters, the Rev numbers were letters, because mm-hmm. I, I changed my formatting for some unknown reason. <clears throat> so letters predate numbers. Huh, I think I must have one of the very, very original ones then. Because I remember right when you first, I think it was your first batch or something I bought one from you. Huh. Yeah, the first ones that I sold would have been probably Rev C. I, I have, check. Yeah, I have Rev A, B, C, D, and then 1.0, 1.1, 1.2, and I have to do 1.3 because I screwed up some oscillator design, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> So now you have uh, recently gained access to a 3D printer, right? I've I've owned a 3D printer for quite a long time, actually. I bought a printer bot, uh, Simple Metal, almost two years ago. But it took me a really, really long time to actually just set it up and calibrate it and whatnot. <clears throat> but uh, then I found out that my boss didn't mind if I just set it up on my desk at work and toyed with it on my breaks. That's so now awesome. I print. Yeah, now I print while I'm at work. I use the, you know, I show up a few minutes early. I start a print, then during the break, I, you know, I clean up the surface, whatnot. I start another print. That is awesome. And people are, yeah. The only, the only uh, condition I have is that if a teacher, because I work in a school, so if a teacher wants something printed, I have to print it for them. So. Yeah, seems like a good deal. It's a really good deal. <laughs> so you, um, you brought up, or you just uploaded a whole the 3D design file for the Super Nintendo Multi Out, and I guess it's for the front loading NES is the main the main use for it. When people were adding the NES RGB kits and cutting the hole in the back and stuff, um, how did you get that model? Did you make that yourself, or did you? Um... Yeah, basically, I just you know I took a caliper to uh, uh, an NES uh, or sorry, an SNES cable. I measured it. Then made a, an enclosure around it, made a small board to fit in, and put some nice pads and some nice labels, and uh, that's pretty much it. it and and this will be this will be funny to some viewers, but my main intent for this was actually to put this uh, multi out on a Genesis just to you know have hell freeze over. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna do it. I want to do it sometime this weekend. I want to mod one of my Genesis to. Uh, to use a SNES cable. I, I hate to break it to you, but you're not the first person that's done that. Um, I know somebody sent me pictures of theirs because they had bought the HD RetroVision SNES cable, but not the Genesis. 
and then they decided they wanted it for both, so they uh, they bought <laughs> one of those um, online, and then uh, kind of, you know, when I say hot glued it, I don't mean they did a bad job. They knew they'd eventually take it out, so they just did a temporary glue job to hold it in the place, and it works works fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, something we need to mention about this, Bob, is that I I uploaded these designs, and they're open to the public. Uh, the 3D, I forget what the license is called. It's attribute share alike something like that so it's kind of like gpl but for for right. designs right basically i want people to take this and tweak it and do whatever the hell they want with it right i don't want to make money with this i just want to uh without targeting anyone i just want to avoid price gouging on these things because <clears throat> i'm not a cad expert in any ways i had never used a cad software before i designed this thing and Learning the software and designing the connector took me a whole maybe 40 minutes, right? So it's wow, not it's it. not the best it's not the best thing in the world, but it works, right? So if if I can do this in 40 minutes, then somebody else can tweak it and improve upon it and keep it open source, obviously, because that's what the license mm-hmm. entails. But uh, yeah, hopefully. So Someone what's your opinion on, on people selling these? So I would imagine if it was something like, hey, me and my cousin Scott want want one, so I'm just going to order two and split it with him, I think that's kind of what you, that's your intention for all this. But what if it was the opposite? What if, you know, what if Joe Blow, what if that shady character Voltar takes your design and then, you know, uh, builds 30 of them and sells them for 40 bucks online? That is against, that is against the rules for this, right? Uh... You know, I'll have to be honest, the uh, the attribute share alike 3 license that I selected was the first one in the drop-down menu when I made it public. <laughs> gotcha. So you're not sure? So I think what I was looking for in a license was just that whatever mods that you do, just like a GPL v3, for instance, you have to contribute back to the community, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care if, I mean, if somebody wants to sell this for 40 bucks, that's that's their own prerogative. If somebody wants to buy it for 40 bucks, again, whatever, I'm not going to support that, and I'm going to scream out loud if somebody does that, but that's their right. So. Well, you uh, you have your logo tastefully put on the inside, so it's, uh, you know, no one's, it's not like, you know, it's glaringly tacky on the outside, but it's enough where if somebody <laughs> tried to sell it on eBay, people would know it was your design. So I have a feeling everybody would kind of police that on their own if they saw that out there. Yeah, and that's the intent too, right? I mean, I'm as time permits, I'm trying to open source as, as many of my designs as possible, right? And by putting my logo on there, I hope it makes people realize, hey, well, you know, DB's a pretty open source guy, right? So if they go to my website, they can find the STL and they can have it printed. Hmm. There's four grams of plastic on here. It takes about 20 minutes to print on my printer. And I mean, if somebody has a printer, they should you know charge you about like a buck or two for one of these, right? So. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there's been... um. All right, I gotta switch to beer. <laughs> it's, I got one of those colds that just won't go away. It's been like over two weeks. It's driving me nuts. But um, so generally speaking, I've seen a lot of these things for sale, and some of them have been very fair. You know, when you take into account, uh, you gotta hand polish them when you're done to make sure. You know, it, well, if you want them to look nice, I've seen some that were painted. Um, that you know came with the printed circuit boards as well, which I think you put up the design for the circuit board too, right? Yeah, the Gerbers are available for the PCB that I made. So you could just go, go to there. like OSH Park and make a handful for yourself if you wanted to or something, right? Yeah, 
Um, and but I've seen people sell them for re- not yours. I mean, over the years, for reasonable prices. But I've also seen people sell them for ridiculous prices. And uh, so I'm really glad to see that you do this because, you know, it's it's kind of a weird thing when somebody has the only one, and they want to charge a million dollars for it. People will buy it reluctantly because it's the only one out there. But the fact that just now that there's any choice at all is awesome, and I'm glad somebody's doing it. So, yeah, and it's not to say that that others on the market are too expensive. I mean, I bought the uh, the back panel for the multi out that goes on the NES top loader, right? Right. And you do pay a pay, you do pay a few bucks for it, but it looks like it's a uh, an SLS print and not uh, an additive print. Right. And and SLS costs more money. It's uh, and it's a higher quality print, right? So I wouldn't know how much it costs to get it printed, but I assume it costs it costs more. So that could explain the high price of that one. So now it's been quite a few years since I've done plastic molds and stuff like that. That was back when I had that real job when I'm with computer design. But it's SLA and SLS, correct? And SLA the, the SLS is the additive one, which is it's literally the 3D print that you know most people know of now. And SLS, what is the difference between those two? Well, well, the the, the additive method is just kind of a there, there's a head and it melts plastic and it deposits it where you want plastic and it builds it in layers. Uh, SLS is selective laser stintering, and I'm sorry if I get it wrong, but it's kind of like a bath of powder. And then the, there's a light that cures the powder into plastic. Hmm. And yeah, it, it still right. builds it up in layers. But the advantage of the powder is that it can design hanging parts without supports. Right, right. Whereas, whereas if you have a, a standard like $1,000 printer like the one I have, um, if you're designing, say, like a, a figure that has arms... Well, you the the arms can't appear out of nowhere, right? It, there there needs to be a support from the ground up in order to hold those arms up, right? And then after when the print is done, you usually sand those off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, you know the the difference a few years make. When I was at that other company, um, you know, to get an SLA mold of something printed like that, three D printed, I mean, it was a minimum five hundred dollars, I would think, minimum. And it was just nowadays, if you own a 3D printer, it's a few dollars and, you know, in plastic. And if you even if you need to get it sent out. So people that do this for a living where you send it to their web, the design to their website and they send you back the thing, it's still remove a zero from it. You know, it's just so cool how far the technology's come with that. Mm-hmm. Even for uh, like if some if people want a one stop shop to, to get the uh, the PCB and the shroud printed at the same time, there's uh there's a place I use sometimes called Dirty PCBs, and mm-hmm. they'll actually just charge you by the gram for three for SLA 3D printing. Oh wow, really? Where is that yeah. located? Canada? Uh, no, I think it's in the U.S. It's Dirty PCBs. I I order from there when I need something quick and dirty. <laughs> but uh, the nice thing is, like uh, like we said for this, because there's 3D printing and a PCB, you can get it both from the same shop. Or you could probably save a few bucks on shipping. That is pretty awesome. <clears throat> yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I, I've worked with SolidWorks before, but I've never started a 3D model from scratch. It was always, you know, the I used to work with this genius engineer. The guy, I have pictures of him on my website doing modifications to some of my carts, but uh, I would take a design that he did, and then I would, you know, all right, well, I need to move this, I need to add this, and then I would send it back to him to check it, and most of the time I'd make mistakes, but... Uh, 
that you know <laughs> that's really where my experience in the 3D modeling ends is just you know I could tweak something that somebody else has done but you know and I take my time and I do all the measurements but it's uh it's a little intimidating jumping into it for the first time you know Yeah well I mean mine is just uh like a couple of rectangles and a few circles and that's it and you extrude them it's nothing complicated right I'm sure I'm sure anyone who would give it enough time would be able to come up with this I'm not I'm not a genius by any respect for this right Yeah well it's um <clears throat> Sorry, I keep pausing. I'm just trying not to cough directly in the mic. Um, so, but it's good that I've seen a lot of a lot of people like you put these designs online. A lot of the things I've seen too were um, NES. Uh, I think it was at least Nintendo and I think Genesis um, cartridge designs. So people could 3D print their own cartridges for uh, um, the plastic cases for ROM, or for game cartridges. That was pretty cool too. You you bring up a good point that I actually have the designs for the Genesis cartridge and Master System cartridge. I should I should put those on my website. I've just forgotten to do it. Oh, you do? Yeah. I mean, the Genesis one is is fairly ubiquitous, and you can buy a lot of them. But I have I actually have the designs for the Master System cart too, which which I'm sure uh, people could use. I want a clear Master System cart. I know it's dumb, <laughs> but I want to put my EverDrive in a clear cart and then use it that way. So I'm going to get on that. <laughs> Maybe I'll go to Dirty PCB if you uh, send me the design, see what they, how much they would charge for something like that. <laughs> so um, what else do you have on the agenda? Because uh, you and I alone have talked about a million different projects, and it's just finding time in the day. You know, you just, you, We both have day jobs and families and stuff, so it's always yeah. you know, whenever you have the extra minute. Um, what do you have on the agenda? Well... In the past, I mean, some people that have been following me for a while, I used to sell this thing, which I called the uh, the PC Henshin, which is uh, a Turbo Graphics uh, Universal Region Converter. Right? Again, modless to to prevent hack jobs to your uh, nice U card connector. So, for people that aren't totally um, aware of all these things, um, in in order to play a PC Engine game on a Turbo Graphics sixteen. You either need a region mod or something like that, correct? Yeah. The thing is, um, if you want to play, uh, let's a Japanese game on a Turbo Graphics 16, uh, their region protection scheme was to flip the data bus around. So you know the the eight data bus, but uh, the eight data <laughs> eight bus. <data> <laughs> Bits were just flipped around, so D7 to D0, D1 to D6, and so on, right? So you can just kind of passively flip those around to play cheaper uh, Japanese Hue cards on the American console. Mm -hmm. But to go the other way, which, I mean, some people want to do, if you want to play American cards on the Japanese console, those cards actually check which region they're on, right? And for that, like you said, you do need uh, a mod, which involves you know i think grounding or putting to vcc a pin of one of the chips inside mm -hmm. but me and uh, an engineer from chicago who goes by the name of uh, ishi yakazuo something like that we came up with kind of a game genie way to cheat the console into thinking that it's it's one region or the other so we're able to make a universal uh region mod mm -hmm. on this board that goes either way so you can put it in either an American console or a Japanese console, and it'll play any game from the other region. That's pretty awesome. 
And to be honest, the reason I, I would, well, I mean, maybe I'm the minority in this, but the reason I could think of is I know a lot of people that ended up buying uh, PC Engine duos, but they still want to play some of the American games that they have. So uh, <laughs> that would be the perfect solution for it then. Yeah. Because yeah, no, no the American mod required, games... just plug it in and go. Yeah. And like I said, I used to make this, but at that time I had not found a suitable cue card connector. So I kind of jimmied one together from two Samtech uh, SIBF connectors. And it was really laborious to make. It took like almost 30 minutes per board for me to assemble. So I had to sell it for, for quite a bit of money. But my, my concept of quite a bit of money was still a lot cheaper than the other converters that you'd find out there because people were charging way up the ass for this. Yeah. Right. But I decided to stop making it. And then just a few weeks ago, I found someone on Twitter that uh, in China that actually manufactures brand new Hue card connectors. Oh wow! Yeah. Wait. So and because I, I, it's just the pin connector, those are the kind of con- um, those will work in anything, right? A PC Engine, a Turbo Graphics, a Duo, well, pretty much. They're anything, not. Right? Yeah, they're not exactly the same uh, mechanically as the ones that you, that you'd find in the consoles because they have extra extra uh, mounting posts. Mm-hmm. But you could cut those off and still make it fit. But but the nice thing is is that you can make new products with it, for you know for a perfect fit for Hue cards. So I'm going to resurrect the uh, the PC Henshin really really soon with these brand new connectors. I know who's going to be buying a bunch of those connectors too. Uh, <laughs> Voltar to be for all of those uh, those epoxied consoles that he's been repairing that he's been painstakingly getting every one of the pins back to life just. Throw them out and put a new one of those connectors in, and you're good to go. Yeah, I've already shown the connector to him. I've given him the source. Good, good. And, and once once I test it, and I know that it's working perfectly, I'll I'll advertise to everyone where I bought these. I mean, it's no, I don't want to have a monopoly on anything, right? But didn't Actually, you just recently open source that too, or was it a different project? This design, the files are available on my website and the VHDL and whatnot. That's open source as well. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. So, what I intend to do is obviously it's going to be one board with the uh, and and you can plug in your hood cards in the back. But I also want to make a nice little three print three D printed hood that kind of hides everything with a nice big DB on there just to make sure everyone knows it's DB. Yeah, but that's um, I don't know. That's an aesthetic that I would really like. You know, having an, <laughs> an exposed PCB is cool, but I think that makes a lot of people kind of nervous you know what if i you know what if i drop something on there that's metal and it just yeah. any kind of cool cover like that i think is just a really neat aesthetic to have with something yeah so obviously i'm not sure that i'm actually going to be able to sell the uh, the hood with every unit because these did sell like hotcakes when i had them because i mean looking at the size of the hood it's probably going to take a few hours to print one but I, i'll definitely put the design on the website no if you have more of an industrial printer I mean, you know, like the ones that don't cost a thousand, they cost twenty, thirty thousand. Um, you could probably spit out a lot more, but I wonder how much people would charge for that because then they have to. I mean, they, it's only fair that they make up enough money back to pay for that twenty thousand dollar printer. So yeah, oh, it's probably going to cost see, a lot more. If I see that the demand is high enough, I may actually, you know, send out for a batch of you know a hundred or two hundred or whatever at a time, right? And then I'll have you know nice SLS printed hoods that go on this 
See, that's why, I, and that's why I like, and you know what? I mean, screw it. Let me ask your opinion on this. There, there's so many projects out there now in our community where people have a great idea <clears throat> and they make a great prototype and then no one sees anything for a year. And it's nobody's fault, really. It's not like somebody's doing something wrong. But when you have when you have things like PayPal, where you know if you have a delay, um, uh, people can can file complaints and get their money back. But it's not just when they do that. You're not just refunding their money. Now there's complaints against your account, and if something goes past, I believe six months, um, you don't refund their money. You have to pay them. So if somebody paid you a hundred dollars and then you know you have what a two and a half percent, you're gonna send them back a hundred two fifty in order for that to go through. So I think a lot of people are scared away from pre-orders for things like that. Uh, it was actually um, Nick from HD <coughs> from HD Retrovision that recommended one place, and they take a higher cut. But I, I'm I'm really wondering if a safer pre-order thing would kind of solve a lot of these issues. I mean, I would always encourage people to do what you've done and show. A working sample you've sold a bunch of these things especially with your products you've already sold a bunch of them but if people really wanted oh well i want a, a nice 3d printed cover you know how do you feel about just taking a pre-order and as soon as it hits 100 then you put the order in and everybody gets theirs i i know some people adopt that model and i mean all the power to them for doing that i'm scared shitless to do that model i want to have a tested and working board in my shop before I actually take anyone's money. And well, that, no, but that's, that's just... what I mean. You do have tested working boards. Like, yeah. you know, if somebody said they wanted the DV graphics booster with, I don't know, with an SDI connector on it, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, and you're like, fine, if you get 100 of them to do it. Um, the company that Nick found, um, you don't collect the money. So you have no fiscal responsibility until you pull the trigger. So if okay, a I see year where you're goes going. by <clears throat> and you say, you know what, the project, it's not going to work. Um, everybody gets their money back. You don't lose anything. They don't lose anything. I think the company who, who, you know, who hosts these probably lose a little, but whatever. But if you do get the project done, whether it's a day, a week, a year, when that's ready, then you collect the money. And I think they take a bigger cut off the top, but it's not ridiculous. I think it's like now it's 3.5% instead of 2.5% or something. That was kind of the thing that Nick found. I thought it was kind of a you know, worth looking into, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Yeah, that could be useful for somebody who's trying to start out. I mean, I do recall when I first started making products, I had to obviously inject some of my own money into it. And that was scary, right? I mean, you want to <laughs> yeah. order like a batch of 100 PCBs and 100 connectors and 100 of this and 100 of that. And, you know, you're like, shit, that's a lot of money. Am I going to sell all of this? And, I mean, time has obviously told that I did sell all of them, but at when I was faced in that situation, I did not know I might have ended up with, you know, a stock of 99 because nobody wants to buy my crappy PCBs, right? So that could be a, I mean, I'd have to look into that. I mean, it could be a, a nice venue for, for future projects. Uh, not only, like you said, to, that it adds the security uh, on both sides financially, but it also helps you gauge, um, what kind of demand there would be for your product. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think especially cause we have such a, a, you know, relatively speaking, a small community. I mean, there's thousands of people that go in and out of the forums and on our websites every day. But when you compare it to, you know, 
something like you know like the honda civic car modding community there's millions so we have such a small community that i think people would understand if you said something like you and you and anybody with a proven track record like hey uh, you know my goal is for 100 if uh you know if i make 100 it's going to cost 10 dollars, whatever it is that you're selling and then you only get 50 pre-orders I don't think it would be a big deal if you were like, hey, look, we only got 50 pre-orders. It's going to cost 13 not 10 Who's still yeah. in? Is anybody, do you guys still want it? Like in a situation like that, I think, I don't think there'd be an uproar. And if there was, then uh, it's going to be from people that you're probably not going to want as customers anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, and, and that's a good point you raised, uh, the thing about increasing the price. I've, I've increased the price on, on some of my products, not to get a bigger cut, just because, I mean, the Canadian dollar has gone down. Uh, I've had to change some components. The board just becomes more expensive, and I've never had any complaints that any of my things were too expensive. So, no, well, I, I people... mean they're not. I mean, I guess yeah, it's just my opinion, of course, but they're not. I mean, they they all fit the price points, in my opinion. I'm not aiming for any kind of price point. Actually, when I make these, I just I have I have a spreadsheet with the bomb and the cost from DigiKey, and then the cost from the PCB assemblers. And then there's just a, this, a little magic formula at the bottom, and that's what the price is. I don't, I don't make something and say I'm going to sell this for eighty dollars, right? I do round the number off so that I don't sell it for you know sixty three dot twenty three whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, it's always it's it's a formula price. It's not a price point that I'm aiming for. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's always a tricky thing because like when I was doing the um, the PCBs. The uh, the stuff that I was selling, I mean, I uh, that whole thing the SNES amps started because I I was tired of soldering those chips together and I was just bored of it. I don't enjoy doing this that same crap over and over and over. And then I I started you know for the first time to make my own design from scratch, which you know it was like what four components on a little THS amp. And then I found Bordy who had did it better. And I just emailed them, and I was just, uh, you know, I'm like, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen? The guy tells me I'm an asshole, but I just emailed them and said, hey, I'm trying to make the same thing. Yours is better. Like, what do you think? Could we work together? And he was the one that said, no, do it. Do it. Do whatever you want with it. Just, you know, sell it for a reasonable price. And when I ordered those, I was just terrified, terrified that there would be, like, <laughs> a way better way. Or, like, I would have made it wrong or something. But the truth is, the... You know the the only two downsides to it were to do it right, you needed to add the uh, you know the extra brightness resistors, and then there's different chips that may or may not work better. But there's nothing wrong with it, so I was very lucky. But I was I was really scared with that because you know I had to fork out all my own money, not not to mention all the time on top of it. And if I yeah. had gotten a hundred, because you can't really you could order ten, but there I mean it ends up being like thirty dollars each for something that shouldn't cost thirty dollars. So I mean, it's it's scary when you order that first one hundred, and you're like, man, you know, did I just lose all my money on this? But <laughs> no. Well, no, you should want... you should see the mountain of unusable PCBs that I have in here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, like I was like I was saying earlier, right? Enumerating all the the graphics booster revs that I have, right? There's A, B, C, D, then one dot O, one dot one, one dot two, and now I'm going to one dot three. I mean, I have a pile like this big of graphics booster boards that are uh obsolete <laughs> yeah it sucks but it's you know you got to go through it to get to where you're at <clears throat> yeah that's right yeah like even something really really simple like my original power base converter i'm at i think there's six board board spins on that one well i would think that anything 
I mean, anything from, you know, writing and recording a song to creating a PCB to, to you know, writing a story, anything. You're never going to, I mean, it's always going to be multiple revisions before you really feel like you got it right, you know? Oh, oh, absolutely. I average maybe three or four revisions before I can actually sell something, mm-hmm. which is not bad. It's just the thing is, is it takes a long time. I mean, hardware iterative cycles are really long. Right, I think that's out... um I think that's one of the things that a lot of people that have never tried to do anything like this before and even people that are closely tied into the scene and you know follow what everybody's doing unless you've tried to make one of these yourself it, it's really hard to grasp not only the delays but how one affects everything else so you yeah. know you make your PCB and then you send it off to OSH Park and they're usually actually I've found them to be very quick but you have to wait for them to get it back you fix your mistakes you send it back, you fix your mistakes, all right, this is perfect. Then you go to a place like ITED out in China, and then seven weeks later, you get your, you know, you get your boards, and it's just, yeah. And next thing you know, you've blinked an eye, and three or four months have gone by before your products arrived, even though they were done three or four months ago. So it's, you know, it's it's so time-consuming just to go through. You'd have to, you'd have to be able to make your own boards, which, um... Don't they have something like that now where you can put the board in and it prints electrical traces on the board? It's only two-layer <laughs> boards, of course, but I think they have that now, right? I think I've seen that, yeah. That's pretty neat. <laughs> I've seen, I seen a, a dual extruder printer. One head is plastic, one head is, is conductive, whatever, aluminum, copper, and it also has a pick-and-place machine integrated. <clears throat> so, so it'll, Yeah, so it'll print the plastic, it'll print the circuit, with uh with the conductive material accordingly then it'll drop with the pick and place the components that you need and then it'll solder them into place and whatnot so it's it's a fully encapsulated uh circuit that never existed as individual parts how much does that cost <laughs> i'm not sure i think i think what i saw was a university project oh okay 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 because you know but, um, uh, I, uh god i can't i i I'm almost afraid to say it because I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong, but I think um, badass consoles, Michael is buying a pick-and-place machine so to make sure some of his designs get done a little bit better. Hmm. So that's um, it's a big investment, but you know, hopefully he'll be able to make some money off of that from us, from the people that need a few board designs done and just you know quick quick printouts of them and stuff. Yeah. But that's a, that's a big investment. So I just uh, I just remembered what I was trying to ask you when I had that awkward pause in the coughing fit before. <laughs> um, so to go back to what we started to talk about, but I said hold on till later. What about that knockoff oh. graphics booster from uh, Hong Kong? I believe. <laughs> so I've seen pictures of it, right? And uh, Steve from HD Retrovision, he actually bought one and he analyzed it. But I'm I'm not gonna go. I bought and, one, too, and, take... and I sent it to Voltar to analyze oh. on his scope, and he, you're next on the list. I bought that for you. I just wanted to send oh, it because Voltar saw that and got pissed. He's like, oh, <laughs> this is junk. What the hell is this shit? So I bought it and sent it to him, and then uh, he's going to send it to you, and that's just that's a trophy for you to have just to laugh at. But um, that is not I, – I am not an electrical engineer. I am even – I am a bad amateur at this stuff. And even my untrained amateur eye took one look at that and went, what the hell is he using to amplify? Oh, no. Oh, that's bad. So would you you want to talk about that a little bit uh, just for people that are wondering why they should spend, 
you know, more than double the price on yours than just buy that piece of junk from Hong Kong? <laughs> well, that piece of junk from Hong Kong, I mean, you're talking about, you said your exact sentence was something like, uh, what is he using to amplify? Oh, no. Well, most of those signals aren't amplified. Right. There's some that, I mean, the, the audio just goes right through. Uh, he uses, uh, I mean, the caps are on backwards, first of all. You look at the pictures, and there's uh, there's oh, emitter. Yeah, are they? Yeah, yeah, they're backwards. <laughs> there's coupling caps on the inputs of the emitter followers. That's awesome. And they're on backwards. Yeah, but I then had... the I had somebody very on nice, the other side. very nice guy emailed me about that, and then he said he, you know, he figured, well, it's twenty bucks. Let me see what it's like. Fair enough, totally fair. He got it. He goes, yeah, I plugged it in and it works fine, so I'm just gonna keep it. What kind of TV are you using? And uh, I don't actually remember what he was using. And it, it's funny too, because if you're using like a beat up old CRT and you're doing, a, you're using some. Like uh, one of the CSY clones where you actually have to take the potentiometers and uh, dial in the signal from RGB to um, component. Um, I have a few of those. Yeah, you'd never be able to tell the difference. And one of these days, your converter is going to blow up because it's getting a bad signal. You know, that's... But so I get that part of it. But anybody with real equipment, man, you'll notice immediately. And it's not... I mean, it's... You know, I always use the analogy, especially when talking to EEs, no offense. Um, You know, I I have a lot of people that I've worked with over the years. You can't make a design that way. Why? Because it's not supposed to be that way. Why? And there's always three things. It's not supposed to be that way because that's not the way the spec was written, and your equipment might have a shorter life. All right, I'll I'll take that one. Well, it's not really going to damage anything, but... You know, what would have lasted 50 years might only last 5 or 10. It's probably not a great idea. All right, I don't want to do it that way. And then there's the something's going to blow out quickly. It's going to be, you know, soon you're damaging your equipment. It's like a slow burn. This is terrible. So it's, you know, when I see stuff like that, I wonder if it's two or three on that scale, you know, because it's just, it works. But how badly are you damaging your equipment while using it? Well, that board is definitely the, the the worst end of that scale. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. We had uh, we, I had getting the biggest argument with a guy I I really respect a lot when I was in that other company about we can't release it like this. We can't. It's not to spec. Well, and I had well, how long? How long is it going to take to blow this out? I mean, uh, ten years. This thing might not even work anymore. Dude, we have a two year contract and it's a computer. How many people? I mean, these things get rotated out five years max. So if you're going from something that could have lasted 15 years and now it only lasts 10, and this is that's a very conservative number. It's probably going to last way longer than both of those or something else on the motherboard is going to die way before. Why are we arguing? We're saving, you know, and it was just, and everybody voted in my favor because it's equipment that gets, it's not, you know, it's not something that's designed to be used forever. It's designed to be rotated out every couple of years. So I'm I'm totally okay with stuff like that. Things don't have to be perfect all the time. But if if something I buy is going to damage something else I own, I don't want to use it. <laughs> it's no, different, exactly. you know. And, and it's I mean I think I have a different mentality if we're talking about like you're saying like a PC manufacturer where I know in five years I'm not going to be using this box anymore. But if I'm going to be putting something in my console that was built in the '80s and it's going to reduce its life, well, I'm going to throw it out in the garbage right away, right? So that's that's actually I didn't even mean to do this, but you know, segue. Um, 
So Sega, when they designed their consoles, they clearly had that PC mentality in mind. Oh, who's going to be using a Genesis in you know five oh, years, yeah. let alone ten? Which is why all their co- you know the cap- uh, capacitors are, are rotted out, and especially on the Game Gears, Ugh, those are the worst. Um, yeah. Which is why whenever I you know whenever I talk to people, if there's a chance to do something like an RGB bypass. Um, sure, the internal components were fine when it was new, and sure, you can do a cap replacement, but you're still talking about something where, you know, when you and I design something, and if it's, all right, well, let me spec out these caps. Well, these are 20 cents more, but they're going to last 10 times longer. Yeah, fine, 20 cents, I'll spend that, that's nothing. To Sega, that's 20 cents times 20 million for every capacitor in there. So they're not going to do it. They're going to take the cheaper ones where your average hobbyist is going to take the more expensive ones to try to build something that lasts. So any of these bypass things that we've been installing, especially any of the ones that I've sold, because I made sure to only spec out, you know, the best within reason. You know, I'm not going to go a 0.01 tolerance capacitor for $8 a piece. But, you know, within reason, I spec out the best that I could for it. It's Why not, Bob? probably going to last longer than any of the internal stuff in there. And maybe we're <clears throat> maybe we're talking past our lifetimes, but I don't know. I mean, the Genesis is already starting to fall apart a lot. You need to do a lot of these replacements. So that's why um, whenever I have a choice, I always lean towards the bypass rather than using the internal components. Yeah, I mean, and especially with the Genesis video, it was never good anyways. So, um, You know, that's subjective because a lot of people <clears> – because <throat> the Genesis video – well, I mean, when you're if you're talking about the dirty signal, you're 100% correct. But Voltar's got that board that um, it based, it doesn't RGB bypass, but uses its own circuitry. I guess is the best way to put it. So I'll um, it base it the traces on the board that were ran badly in almost all of the Genesis revisions. Um, his board takes it, and this isn't industry secrets. He talked about it with me on the last podcast. And he removes it from the board, so you have to lift a lot of pins, which uh, it's funny. I think both you and Tim Worthington called it uh, horrific the first time I did that, where I lifted all the pins on the VDP of the Genesis. <laughs> but you, gotta, you have to take all the signals off the board because the board is the problem. And then he runs it to his board, which um, replaces the components that you, know, you were going through, and then back into that CXA and out. So from that perspective on it, um, you know, you're still going through the CXA chip, but you're going through a lot of other, you know, you're not going through the same boards and caps, or I mean the same resistors and caps that were on the board. You're going through his. So from that perspective, the Genesis output looks great. That CXA um, chip does have that distinctive look when, uh, for Genesis games. I've seen people put other chips in it. But um, as long as I, you know, I, I think I think the issue was the, the dirty signal, I guess, is the best way. Because I guess Mark, for my life in gaming, who at this point, he's certainly proved himself as somebody that can tell when a signal doesn't look good. I mean, the guy's done more screen caps. I think at this point, he's probably done more than me. Um, he has a, a, some weird revision genesis with no jail bars and no interference. I've really? never seen one personally before. but um, And it looks great. It's, always, it's only the noise in that, that is the issue. All the ones I've seen look terrible. So getting around that is, uh, and getting around it with newer components is always the goal. Did you, uh, did you want to talk about your bypass board a little bit? Uh, well, yeah, we can mention it a bit. I just want to say though, I, I am, I'm bitching here about the video quality of the Genesis, but uh, the one in my main setup is unmodded and it has jail bars. And I think I would, 
I would be sad if I played on the Genesis and if it didn't have any jail bars. I, it's almost like it's part of the experience at oh, this I point. I couldn't right? disagree more. No offense. <laughs> I just because I've been I've been lucky enough to be able to have all of these older consoles, especially the ones I grew up with, and then to see the progression of the work that we've all done over the past probably five years, I guess. And now when I sit down and I play a Super Nintendo and it's flawless, absolutely flawless. And I sit down and I see the Genesis, which is, I mean, there's a lot of gorgeous artwork on a lot of those games. And all I see is just these lines coming down the screen. Looking, you know, it's just, oh, it drives me insane. I hate it. I can't wait to, to get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, I I could do without the rainbow banding, but, but the yeah. jail bars, I do, I'll have to say, I do feel a bit of nostalgia towards those. Hmm. Yeah, to each his own. But there's also a group on Shmups that don't want to use RGB monitors because it looks too good. They prefer composite <laughs> video and it's cause of, because that's how it looked to them as a kid. I mean, to yeah, each I'm not own. that much of a purist. No, no, not me. It's almost but, like uh, uh, the earth is flat because, you know, I was told it was flat when I was a child. <laughs> but... Oh, damn. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, you're talking about this this mod. I mean, we'll talk about it a bit. It's not. I haven't fully validated it yet. I've only wired up the video portion of it. But uh, what it is, is it is an RGB bypass, uh, like you mentioned. It bypasses the uh, the bad tracing on the, the Genesis. I wired it here into my Model 1 with a nice uh, 240p cart because that's how you got to test stuff. Yeah. Uh, basically, the intent was to make a board that's the exact same size as the RF module. That and Yeah, am I on the yeah, camera? Yeah, I can see it fine. Okay. Yeah. And I want the board to just fit right in there. And the uh, the DIN nine, which is the same as the Genesis two, would line up theoretically with the RF output. And and first revisions, right? You never get it right, so I didn't get it right on this one. I have to change the mounting to the underside. But uh, thus far, the video looks really good. I'll. Uh, <clears throat> it includes the uh, the seventy three seventy four, right? So it amplifies the RGB and the sync goes mm-hmm. through the the amplifier as well. And I also included the, uh, I forget what the name is for the, the, the audio amp for the Genesis. Mega amp? Yeah, the mega amp. Yeah, that's exactly it. So it includes the mega amp as well. So you'd have to rewire all of your uh, audio pass for the Sega CD, the PSG, the, the YM 2612 and all those. And um, once I test it, I'll say that it works, but I haven't tried the audio path yet because I just wired this up yesterday. So. So I got a couple of questions about that. So first of all, anybody that's looked at the Mega Amp documentation, it is a little bit intimidating. It's not, you know, you don't just lift a resistor and, and solder a wire. It's small spots. It's different on each motherboard revision. <clears throat> Do you have a way to bypass that if you just wanted to give you're lucky enough to have one of the original Model 1 boards that sounds good? Um, or do you just... Uh... Well, that's a, that's a good point, Bob. I should include a way to bypass it. I mean... Theoretically, you could add a wire that plugs directly to the to the DIN nine from the other audio outputs and bypass everything. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that that right there sounds like a perfectly fine solution. Just you know, I would just add that to the documentation because it's it's a very small percentage of the Model Ones that I would call I don't want to say perfect, but they're pretty damn good. Um, and it's most of the rest that aren't. So I would assume that even people with Model Ones would want to do the Mega Amp in. Even for the reasons I was just talking about, it's brand new components versus components that have been on a board for 30 years. So, um, Yeah, and... but um, 
the thing is though with uh with the model one you lose mono audio once you remove the cxa chip right i don't think anybody cares about that <laughs> no 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 I, I still think i i need to say that i mean some people will complain oh where's the mono audio somebody's gonna but... complain about anything um <laughs> the other thing too that i wanted to make sure to ask about is uh I get, I mean, to this day, even though I tried to document it as well as I had time to on my site, um, the sync coming out of certain Genesis and Master Systems, because <clears throat> that board could be used for the Master System as well, right? Yeah. So um, I guess the best way to say it is it's always weird. So sometimes it's, uh, I believe it's TTL sync right off the board, um, but people's cables aren't built correctly, so um, their displays aren't compatible with it. Um, other yeah. times the cables are built correctly, but the sync just doesn't work. Syncing on composite does. Um, and people have uh, had kind of a Band-Aid solution, love it or hate it, where they've stuck uh, THX7314 amp to amplify the sync signal, which solves the problem and creates more problems than it, it solves. But, I mean, it does work. Um, so when you have the, you actually have the sync going through one of the four channels of that amplifier, correct? Yeah. I think that's going to solve more problem or I think that's going to solve more problems than people realize just doing that alone, just having properly I'm sorry, man. Sorry to everybody listening. I keep coughing and I'm trying not to. Um so I think that that and then when you have it coming off, um do you have the components to make it uh TTL sync or 75 ohm C sync coming off of it? Right now, it's uh, 75 ohm sync. Okay, <clears throat> that's um, coming off. I mean, I I'm a I like to to, to think that everything should be video level, but uh, clearly not all cables are built that way. Actually, incidentally, uh, I just received a sample from um, RetroGamingCables.co.uk, and their new Genesis cable, you know, the one that we said didn't have the. Um, it includes it? the it boards have... with the surface mount stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, before that, it didn't have the capacitors, right? Now, right, but I think he also now he has the resistors on that board, correct? Yeah, now the resistors are on here. I mean, they should be in the, in the be DIN the end, end. Yeah. but I mean, at least they're on there. But his sync circuit is designed for a 75-ohm sync, video level, and not a TTL sync. So what would happen if he would plug that into this board? Would it still work? Uh, yeah, it would. It'll work. I mean, <clears throat> I would think worse comes to worse, you would just have to remove their resistor, right? Yeah, you'd have to change. I mean, if you have TTL sync, ideally, this resistor should be large enough to 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 to, to voltage divide it down to to video levels, right? Usually, it's what like four hundred and eighty ohms, something like that, that they use. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's definitely something I'm going to have to consider. Uh, Obviously, this is this the first board spin, right? So I'm mm -hmm, I'm gonna mm -hmm. toy around with that, just like the uh, the newest revision graphics booster. There's a there's a jumper on there, so people can select whether they want video level sync or TTL sync. I saw that. That's uh, that's awesome. Um, you know, it's I I, I wish there was <clears throat> I wish there was one connector we all could just invent or adopt or something that would have. You know, the connector itself would be built for no interference and have enough pins for everything, and that's not a pre-existing cable. And that way, you know, we could say if you use this connector, make sure that you're outputting, you know, RGB to spec and 75-ohm C-Sync to spec and go through. The only time that it's just impossible is with the Genesis. 
because, um, I mean, you have to use... Well, if you don't care about the 32X, it doesn't matter. But I think even though there's only a, a handful of games, I think everybody would at least want the ability to use one if they should desire in the future. So if you were yeah. to switch the connector and say, oh, let me put a custom one on, then you'd also have to provide that uh, 32X jumper, and then somebody would have to, still have to have... You'd either have to replace the output of the 32X with another one. I mean, it's just... You're better off just being stuck with a Genesis 2 connector on that. But um, maybe, you know, maybe we could all come up with a great solution for everything that's not Genesis, just so that nobody, <laughs> uh, you know, we don't have to worry about this anymore. We could all say, here's the, you know, here's a reminder of what RGBS is supposed to be, and here's what all your devices are supposed to handle. Because I think the only. The only devices that I don't think any devices are designed for TTL sync. I just think there's a bunch that can accept both. So I think if you would default, if you're making something from scratch right now, if you do 75 ohm sync, um, that would cover all grounds, right? They're supposed to be, yeah. Like the T, the the PVM inputs and whatnot, they're designed for that. And like you said, they accept TTL sync mm-hmm. because they have proper input circuitry that. Uh, accepts that and or protects against that, but it's definitely not supposed to be that way. Right. And there's even some Extron devices that were designed that we as retro gamers don't ever use them for their, the, what they were originally designed for, but they were designed to have TTL sync in, um, for a bunch of different reasons. But because those guys were smart enough to realize this is a multi-purpose device, you could feed it in 75 ohm and it works perfect. So... That's yeah, the I've only had some people. Know, actually, I've had some people complain. Well, not complain. Uh, I've had some people tell me that uh, when they're using certain types of cheap Chinese upscalers with the graphics booster, that the sync level makes a difference because their upscaler only accepts a TTL sync. Really? Well, yeah, and I'd have to I'd have to go back through my email to find out the exact new model numbers of those upscalers. But that's definitely something I've heard from from my clients. Well, I'm just going to add that as another reason to not use those garbage upscalers. So <laughs> it's, um, I, I love the guys from My Life in Gaming. They're both fun guys. I'm glad I'm friends with them. But that's the one thing so far, the only thing that I vehemently disagree is uh, I don't want to touch those cheap Chinese upscalers. One exception only. If you, uh, if you like gaming on a CRT but you want to stream, but it's not about quality. It's just about sharing your experience with people, your Twitch streaming, whatever else. Those things yeah. are actually perfect because really, who cares how it looks? As long as people could follow along, it's a really easy way to get a 240p signal to 720. Fine, that's a great device for that. One and only reason, nothing else I could possibly think of. They're all just <laughs> I hate them. They're garbage. They never work right. They look so bad. There's just a million reasons I could think of not to use them. So, I got a cheap one off of eBay just to try out with the booster. And uh, I actually thought the video on my LCD looked worse than when I plugged composite into my LCD. I believe it. I believe it. Ugh. It was horrendous. I, I was I was mad that I had spent like what like fifty or sixty bucks on that thing. Oh really? On Amazon it was like thirty. <laughs> oh, I'm talking Canadian dollars here, right? So. Oh yeah. Sorry, sorry. Keep forgetting yeah, see, in the Great like, White North. That's right. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, 
you know, I could probably sit here for another hour and talk. So uh, I think we better cut it short before everybody else at home falls asleep. Um, <laughs> was there anything I forgot to mention? Uh, I think I mentioned all your projects. I, I did forget to mention that you can buy the 240p test suite, Artemio's test suite, that's yeah. actually burned on a Genesis cart from you direct. Um, yeah. That's such a handy device. That's how I met Artemio. And I never, I never pronounce anything right by the way i just i hope i'm getting artemio's name right but um i met him because i I needed one on a cart for retron 5 testing and he he mailed me one and i've been you know i've been keeping in touch with him ever since but uh that's an amazing tool that most people should really like if unless you're just uh if you want to do anything other than just buy the buy the console and play anything any kind of testing at all you need one of those and if you have a rom card it works but uh I I've, I use my actual dedicated cart all the time. I think uh, yeah. it's a great thing to have. So maybe I should just take like a couple of minutes to to actually explain how I build those because that's another project that I'm working on. Yeah, go for it. There's uh, so I designed I designed this board that includes a uh, like a TeamZ microcontroller and then there's a, a cartridge port here, but it's actually on headers, so I can swap this out. Like right now, it has a, a Genesis connector, but I. I have a, a master system one and a SNES one and so on that I'm eventually going to use. But what I do is I is I design my own flash cartridges. They're, they're one-time use, and that's what that's what I burn uh, 240p on, mm-hmm. right? So I just plug them on here, and uh, I burn whatever ROM I need to on here. And uh, I hope to very soon you know, release this for sale so homebrewers or whatever, right? They can buy a bunch of blank cartridges, and they can buy this thing. And when they're ready to release oh, five, so we, we can ten... see a whole bunch of jacked up repros for two hundred dollars on eBay. Thanks, Renee. Appreciate that. No, well, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do, and and I've done this with because uh, I have a, a master system cart that I'm building as well, right? Mm-hmm. For for the same purposes, is one of one of the uh, the tongues on the edge connector I'm replacing with DB because I like to put DB everywhere, as you know, right? Yeah, why not? So, it's your logo. So so people will be able to tell just by looking at the cartridge outside of the case that it's one of my boards, right? So you can't you can't fool anyone that it's an original. Gotcha. That, gotcha. That's actually a great idea for both reasons. I mean, one, that it's fun to put your logo everywhere, and two, that yeah. it's a good way to uh, pre- prevent privacy, or piracy, not privacy. So uh, Yeah. I mean, if they opened it up, sure. I mean, you could tell that it's, that it's, a, uh, that it's a fake. But uh, like yeah, I don't. Um, there's a whole group of people, and I maybe I just I'm not educated enough in this to understand why. But if somebody says, "Hey, here's a repro of an original cart," you know, and here's how much I want for it, I don't have any problem with that at all. I the only problem no. I've ever had is with, you know, obviously anytime somebody takes somebody else's work without telling them, because there's a bunch of people that burned some homebrews that never got permission. But you know, it's only if people are passing off. Not you know knock off as original. Do I ever I get pissed? Because there's a bunch of people that were doing the Mega Man Wily Wars uh, repros, and yeah. I mean they did a great job and they were charging like fifty bucks, forty bucks or something with with uh, you know the full printed color manual and the the case and everything. That's I think that's cool. I, I think that's great. I've also seen them for like a hundred and fifty, which is not cool at all. But you know there's a you know. I, I think repros are great, um, and they're fun to collect for people that enjoy collecting. I don't, I don't have any room. It's, I don't have room for anything, so I'm hiding behind a green <laughs> screen. So I don't, uh, I don't generally collect a lot of that. But yeah, so yeah, my intent for that is is not repros, right? I want to help people release their games, and 
And as you said, I'm selling 240p, and that's 100% with the permission of Artemio too. I'm I'm never gonna sell like a, a Mega Man or uh, a Sonic Homebrew or whatever without anyone giving me express permission that I can do it. Right. Right. So, yeah. Well, how much are you selling those for now? How much are they available for? Those are not. Uh, oh, the 240p. The 240ps. Yeah. I think it's. I think fuck it's on my website. It's uh, twenty bucks, and you get the ROM and uh, a brand new cartridge shell with it too. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. I was just trying to look up, but um, yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, I think we covered everything for today. I'm definitely gonna bug you to have you back on soon enough at your at some point. So, uh, but thank you for taking the time to do this. I've wanted you on for a while. I just wanted to make sure I was you know, pick the time where we could promote something you got going on. Cause you're always in the midst of some project. So, uh, yeah, yeah I appreciate I was... it. Glad to have you on. I always have 10 things going on at the same time. <laughs> I'm glad you have a name I could pronounce really easy. Cause, uh, I had, uh, <laughs> Mikel, uh, I'm going to embarrass myself. LaRouche? Uh, Mikael. Mikael. Uh, yeah. See, I'm an asshole. Yeah, yeah. I should stop yeah. trying to pronounce anything. I should just call everybody. Hey dude. Cause I could pronounce that, but well, yeah, well that's hard. That's that's a hard French name to say. And I mean I can I'm French, so I can say it, but Yeah, well luckily <laughs> he um he did not take offense when I called him Michael the whole time. He kinda <laughs> laughed at me and thought it was funny and he was a very good sport about that. So uh yeah, I just I I, I feel like such an ass. I never pronounce anything correctly. <laughs> and it's just yeah, oops. So <laughs> thank you, Renee, for having a name I could say. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank my parents, yeah. <laughs> But um, all right, man. Well, I uh, appreciate you having you on, and we'll definitely see you soon, probably before the end of the year. Yeah, thanks, Bob. All right, take care. Bye-bye.